You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is an ongoing analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, the creator of Evangelion brings us into the Reiwa era as Bondzilla Podcast catches up to Toho. It's 2016's Shin Godzilla. James Bond. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Bondzilla Podcast and our final official episode of 2019. Uh, I'm just going to keep it on the air, just to, you know, keep it open ended just in case there is some big breaking news. Yes. Because that could be our final thing of the Within event. one week's time. It's like. Well, you never know. Yeah, it's like right before the holidays, right before both yeah. of our travels. Then, then the Kong yeah. versus or Godzilla versus Kong like, trailer. That finally, like, like Godzilla versus Kong, like gets pushed back to its original date <laughs> and gets a trailer somehow, like something weird like that. Well, let's see. Like Deadpool had a Christmas uh, trailer, mm-hmm. so it's not. What if what if they did that? Yeah, released it on Christmas for a year later. Now, yeah, <laughs> it could be. I mean, like anything's possible. I mean, a year. This is very apropos of like nothing that we're talking about today. But wh- how long? How long is it acceptable for a teaser? Ooh. Like, but I can't. Like, it can't be like a full on no, teaser. It, it, like, you can't misconstrue for a trailer. Like, it would have right. to be a. It'd teaser. have to be like a literal like teaser teaser. Right. Because that's the thing is, I feel like a lot of movies now are afraid of doing early trailers and early teasers because you just kind of lose that momentum. Because that would be my thing, is that if they release like a teaser or mm-hmm. something on Christmas, and then you have to kind of boost that marketing for like an entire almost other year, right? Like that, like you're gonna lose momentum on that, right? I see. the The problem is, is that teasers for me as a kid when I was a kid growing right. up, well, but, and it's all used like- to be. Like the teaser itself used to be like that was the announcement of the movie. Yeah. But now since film like culture is so mm-hmm. indicated on like actual like you know you paying attention to announcements online that they just announce the movie. Right. So well, you really now have I mean to now that. we joke about it, but what really happens where you get like a teaser for the teaser. Right. Like you know like we now have like oh teasers dropping on Wednesday. Here's a sneak peek at the teaser. Yeah, but I, I mean like. But it's also, but but it's like, but but also teasers have changed so much, right? Like remember, like I always remember too. It's like the teasers were like the Pixar style, where it was like they would animate something original, like mm-hmm. like just to be like a little thing of like, but it wasn't uh, Buzzy, Woody and Buzz, like mm-hmm. oh with the Toy Story two logo. Hey, we're doing another movie, right? Right, right and you're exactly right. Whereas, well, my my go to was nowadays it's like really a teaser is really we just call it the first trailer, and then like right. there's like three trailers for a movie. Because that was the other thing. It's like you didn't remember seeing like multiple trailers for a movie. It was basically like you had the teaser and you had the trailer. And that's what you basically knew. Yeah, I think mine was – I always go back to the first like Alien versus Predator like teaser trailer where it was just like vagaries of – like you kind of knew that they were making it. But then the trailer was just like uh, close-ups of all the bits and pieces of the Alien and Predator. Whoever wins – we lose. Ah! And then well, little bits. And that was like, and then at that point, I think it was like a whole year before the movie was right. coming out. That was awesome. I think it's also now, too, I mean, 
the difference as well is that like where you'd be seeing trailers. That's back true. In, back in yeah. our day, it's like you either would see it at a movie theater mm-hmm. or you'd have to go on like you know, especially with how slow the internet was, and you know, you know, mom couldn't be calling somebody or all those like cliches of what the old internet was like. But basically, you had to go like over there and you had to wait for it to load real long if it was like a thing. Nowadays, like Marvel, all of Marvel's accounts will tweet out the Black Widow trailer. True, it's yeah, like yeah. You're yeah. gonna see it on Facebook and on YouTube and the Joe Blow movie trailers and whatnot. It's like very easy to look up a trailer. Well, I mean, and it's very easy to like instantly like as soon as it comes. Didn't out. Force Awakens there because they were the last person, peep, not person, and probably not the last one, but this the one that comes to mind. Teaser. Like a real succinct yeah. teaser, then trailer one, which was teaser trailer one, and then another second trailer. I feel like though, which that, to me that's my favorite. Yeah, and that's I the, believe that first initial teaser was a year out, right? I want to say, I but mean, you can, but you can do that with a Star Wars. Actually. No, that's what I mean. So it's it's I a mean, little bit different. You could do it with yeah. that type of movie. Yeah. Like you could do the same thing. I think like if. You know, with the bigger Marvel films. I'm just or... saying, I don't mind a very brief teaser year out. I don't mind it. I just think it depends on the movie. I don't think it would work for Kong. No, no. I, I think it, it would be a mistake for that type of I movie. I think, but again, I don't think you could use it as... Like the Batman? Yeah. You could do a teaser a year out. Right, right. Like you could do a teaser for that a year out where it's just like Robert Pattinson Oh, no, no, no. Listen, where we're at right now, it's not wise, no, is, it's... is what I'm saying. I'm just talking about what I like. And what I would... I wouldn't mind... like. Again, it would just be an announcement that it's being made. Mm-hmm. Like it, you couldn't count on that first teaser to be part of your marketing yeah. push. Yeah, and it's also in, like in any like for any movie, really. Well, I mean, it's also I think too. It's like you can do that for like like I said, like the Batman's an example where it's like a reboot and mm-hmm. something new, and it's not attached to anything. The problem is also with Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah, is that it's already in this monster verse. Right. So well, you really couldn't even do it for the Batman's either because everybody's like, oh yeah, another. Batman. No, I just but- feel like it would fall on death. Death. Like the Batman v Superman at the time, you could do that because it was like the first time. They I were know. Doing what, you that. know what? I'm going to disagree with you. I don't really think there's a movie you can drop a, tri- a teaser a year out and expect it to have momentum. No, but uh, no, we're not disagreeing on this. I'm saying that you, that you're. First of all, I am agreeing with that. Is no, that but you just said te- like- no, no, no. The teaser itself. That's what I'm saying. You one of the reasons that it's not wise to do now is because I felt like there was a time where the teaser itself was just kind of the fun. This movie is being made, and then six months out is when you would actually start okay. marketing I, the now movie. I get it. I that's you, kind of what were, I meant. Yeah, you can't do it now. Yeah, you can't do it to this day. Yeah, no. But it's, but and it's, that's what I'm saying. The Force the Awakens we, was the last the way we movie. Marketed movies is just so yeah. different, and I think it's there's such an art to that. And I think it would be interesting to analyze that, not in this podcast, yeah. but in some some way, shape, or form at some point in my life. I, I think it would be yeah. a, like interesting because I think there are lots of we have a, we basically have a decade of examples now from like 2010, you know, from like that shit we talked about it on the last Godzilla episode, but that kind of shift in the film industry like post 2008, which was like the beginnings of kind of where our modern film industry has gone to. Um, to now, like within that decade, I feel like you know, like we've seen a lot of examples of great marketing and bad marketing or marketing we think we good and marketing that should have done better. And I think that there's really analysis of like an art to how you maximize that market. True. But I'm just saying as a movie fan, what would be more 
satisfying to me because ultimately again i'm looking at those initial teasers as just a fun hey we're making this movie right and even if it's not like the intention it's just kind of like when you you were a kid or when you were younger and most of the time it's footage and effects that aren't even in the final movie and i'm just saying that's a little bit more fun than just on twitter finding out Hey, in 2021, this movie's coming out. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's the entirety of film discussion. Yeah, I, too. yeah, I know. Film I, discussion I, was a lot more fun when you were like, you know, a bright-eyed kid who wasn't like yeah. angry. And- you, you know, but I, I would like that nowadays. Like, if there was like, I like a yeah, year out team, of yeah. Kong, I wouldn't mind. Even I know it's dumb. This is a really dumb thing to ask for, but I wouldn't mind like a trailer just, just like. Next year, two kings clash, and then we get the high rate. Honestly, all it has to be was that that crappy clip we saw, and yeah. then it's just like that, and then it'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. then that would be fun, just now, for just for us this, because it's, it's for us it is anyway. Unfor- it is unfortunate that it's this is one of those situations where it's just the genie is out of the bottle, and in in what way, in just like how you, because like the thing marketing is like you, works, you or? can't go back to that way though. It's just yes, like I agree. I agree two, with like that. The genies, there's two reasons why. One is that we just have too much information. Right. There's too much information out there, so you can't just drop something like that. Like you can do that for like a video game. Well, like, why you couldn't can do that- you? But no, no, no. I no. I'm going to push back on this again. Why wouldn't you be able to drop that now? Because what is ultimately the difference between that and 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 I'm not saying like the secrecy of it. I'm just saying like what's the difference between that and just announcing in a tweet. No, but it's just like we just know. I think it's also the genies out of the bottle because of the circle that we run in. Mm-hmm. I think if we were in a more general, like it's again, it's that thing about general public versus being knowledgeable at the film industry. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, is like immediately when that drops, I think the other part of it is that it's going to be an- analyzed up its wazoo more right. ways than one. So it's going to be like what we see, and then it's also like people are going to be like, "This is dumb. This is smart." Why are they doing this now? The mm, movie's not coming out. And I just think like there's too much of that within our field. They're wrong. And they're wrong. <laughs> I'm just, not saying they're wrong. I'm not saying they're right. I'm just saying that there's It's a, just a fun little thing. No, like, people don't... Yeah. You can't have Yeah, will. no, you can't have fun. You can't, you can't have, have fun, fun anymore. No, you you're can, right. Will, you can't like things because no, things are owned by the corporation. No. And we can't like the corporation. No. I mean, you know, sometimes... Because we, as you know, just liking something is a complete... Uh, uh, you know, uh, su- support of every other aspect of it yeah. that you can possibly, oh, because that's how art works, yeah. apparently. It's just like, you know... Unless you- it's a problematic director or a f- like a filmmaker of sorts in which you must separate art from the artist. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, you know, but only when it's that, when it's like, you know, other people that you want to have a narrow-minded uh, perception of how something gets made. Then yeah, you're just it's like, just like, you can't win. Yeah. So uh, clearly uh, for the holidays, we all got uh, we got a soapbox to stand on. Uh, th- uh, <laughs> thank know, you, whoever says so, this. You know, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've kind of gotten a little bit back in the, in the Twitter game. And uh, why? Why would you do that? A Star Wars movie is coming out. That's the last point in which you want to get on a Twitter. Enough. I, I tend to try to, I, I have weeded out as much as I can that yeah. sort of discourse. It's not no. You're, have, you're 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 treading dangerously. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm just I'm just engaging with the people that I like on Twitter. Right. Well, no, yeah, you may engage with them, but man, you're you're playing with fire. You're playing with fire. No, but it's just like but it, it is just 
You're playing with you're playing with dangerous forces such as nuclear energy. I'm trying to I'm trying to segue it back to this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is I've, it, it, you're you're best to do that. Yeah. yeah. I, I was about uh, to like get on another rant. We've I'm, already, I'm we've already wh- been talking for like. Within recording, I don't know how much you're going to edit this down. We've been talking for like no, they 11, need to know this eleven is, minutes. Yeah, this, this is this is what the people want. Um, I'm Will, by the way. Oh yeah, and yeah. I'm Nick. <laughs> you are familiar with Happy us. holidays, everybody. Yeah. Sorry uh, if we started off by being a Scrooge. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's you know, it's interesting discussion. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, this is we're running out of movies now, so this is what the podcast the, the, is going to be. Oh no, no, that's, it's got to be every. No, 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 no. That it becomes every movie punditry. We keep telling these people we're going to come up with plans. We are going to come up with plans for you know this, but this is this is the we're catching up with the canon of Godzilla now. So we've caught up with the Bond canon. Whoa, whoa, right. catching up, caught up, Nick. We've, yeah, as well, of well, this we, recording, that's at the end of the episode. We'll, yeah. we'll officially be caught up at the oh, end. Oh, I see. You we, include. The, the, the yeah, because we have to, we have to have the conversation right. first. Exactly. It's still, otherwise, it's just you know amorphous. Yeah, or Morpheus. Um, you want to? Yeah, neither of those were the proper word. It's amorphous. It's yeah, fair. yeah. It's not fair. It's no, that's it's the fair. right. No, it's not. It's not fair. No, that's what I was. Oh, I, I want saying, you yeah, to I, own up to it. Come on. <laughs> well, I told you, I'm back in the Twitter. <laughs> I'm back in the Twitter sphere, so you don't own up. There's no, no it's apologies. Just, you just got to say fair in all lowercase. Yeah, no, ca- no punctuation. <laughs> um, Nick, uh, we are now at the end of the official. Well, no, I guess technically not. But if we're talking about live action yeah. cinema experiences, well, yeah, in terms of live action cinema. Yes. With this one, because we're technically also like we've already done King of the Monsters. Yes, we're not going to review that again. Right. Well, uh, King you, of the Mo- well, I was going to say because this is we are now in the Reiwa era of the Godzilla, uh, the, yeah. or as the modern era, uh, as it were. Um, and the only reason I was going to say that is because technically the anime films are counted officially by Toho in the Reiwa era. But if we're talking about live action feature films, yeah, uh, we are now up to date. With today's episode and today's discussion of a film that I have been looking forward to discussing. Um, and, and a film I've heard nothing but good things about, so I was very interested to hear yeah, and, and see it. Yeah, it, and especially, it, this one was very, like, because enti- I, I think a while ago, I was like, I think at this point it just may behoove you just to see the movie earlier. But you held out. like you. you definitely- I, I like doing these things, yeah. like... You know, because in the moment, because otherwise I would have had a lot of, you know, I, I like the the knowledge too too much. You you would have had too much room to yeah. ruminate. Yeah, too much ruminate. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So but that's, that's kind of the fun of the fun of the podcast. No, definitely, and uh, it's admirable that that you held out as long. I I don't think I would have held out because it was just when we started. Right. Uh, it was going to be like a while until you were going to be able to see yeah. it. Um, so, of course, we are talking about uh, the 2016 release uh, uh, edition in the Godzilla franchise, Shin Godzilla, directed by Hideki Anno and Shinji Higuchi, so dual directed. Alternate titles, Godzilla Resurgence. 
Nick, this is this is quite the 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 big talking point of Godzilla fandom recently, especially in the modern era. This well, is... I mean, it is like um, you know the most recent Japanese release, right? And um, back it was you know it was, and I think we'll talk about this too. But it was post twenty fourteen, yeah. Um, which I think was a big deal because you had a successful. American release movie, a Godzilla movie that, you know, was generally, according to, like, the Rotten Tomato scale, generally well-reviewed in some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was and it was a successful and movie. It was, it, yeah. it was financial success, and now you had more attention, and we were, it, it really was kind of... Um, because we, we talked a little bit about the difference between, you know, when Final Wars came out in 2004, mm-hmm. and... 2014 coming out yeah. and just how much the world and in internet and film world had changed mm-hmm. in between those times whereas when you do like a film like like Godzilla and like Shin Godzilla when Toho's making a new Godzilla film there is inherently going to be more attention to it mm-hmm. because there is now that easier way to like get that information out there right and in a sense I almost feel like even in between that time you know, when we were talking about like the last between the two Toho movies, that um, the international sense of cinema, I think, even grew because you had like within America, you had b- between 2004 and 2000 and, uh, you know, 14 even, you kind of had more of an increase of, you know, like the Miyazaki films being like, you know, coming over and, and having, you know, releases and, you know, Disney adapting stuff like that, like Spirited Away and Howl's Moving Castle, you know, giving those big voice casts. But I also just feel like you had more room for, like, international cinema to be, you know, out there and right. easier to see. And you had stuff like Guillermo del Toro with his Pan's Labyrinth and stuff. I think all that kind of generally sets up to where we are now, but where we are in 2016, where when a new Toho Godzilla movie does come out, there is kind of a tension to it, and there is a possibility that, yeah, this can be seen, you know, not just in Japan. It's not just this thing mm. for Japan. It, it becomes something bigger, especially because there is more attention on Godzilla. There is more attention on that on that MonsterVerse. Yeah, and, and another thing is that, in addition to that, it, it's also, you would consider in the sphere of, like, nerd properties as well. Like, you know, it's more of a niche cinematic property, but it does fit... Uh, comfortably in like the whole nerd property right, and right, now and, that and, nerd and, properties are starting to you know really take off right it, because it, this is again this is our post 2008 our both Dark Knight Iron Man era mm-hmm. where that stuff that you know was was laughed at mm-hmm. in Hollywood you know like Hollywood trying to adapt superheroes in the 90s you know was, is infamous, infamously like a tough time to get those properties adapted mm-hmm. And when it did get adapted in the early 2000s, you know, you for every Spider-Man, you had a Fantastic Four mm-hmm. and Daredevil. Mm-hmm. And now, but now we were in an era where all this stuff was being taken seriously, and the source material was being taken seriously, and Godzilla is definitely a part of that. Yeah, we where- we we've come from when you had every Godzilla 98, you had. Just Godzilla ninety eight. That, that that's, that's all, all you had. <laughs> so now you you know, and we are entering that time where not only you're right. It's like not only do we get a Japanese, uh, a new Toho Godzilla film, but we also are now getting like dual Godzilla films, where it's like you know we're getting two radically different versions of right, it. Right? Because even though, I mean, this is interesting too, and I'd be interested to hear like Toho's you know kind of behind the scenes on this, because 
very infamously, the last time that we had our American Godzilla, it was very much Toho specifically. Like we're gonna let them do their thing. We're gonna take a break. We're not gonna we're not gonna try to have compete with them. We're just gonna let them do their American movies, and then we'll we'll do our comeback. Whereas now, obviously, like legendary at this point is the we're in the throes of developing this monster verse. Mm-hmm. You know, we know Kong's gonna come. A Godzilla sequel is imminent because of the success of the first one. So definitely, like America, Legendary Warner Brothers has their plan set up, and now Toho is is back in 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 the field and being like, okay, well, we're going to make our first movie in twelve years, essentially. Right. Well, that's I think the best place to start off with this, uh, with two thousand four uh, and Final Wars being Toho's last Godzilla film. Um, in which we had said that they decided that that was the time that they were going to take an official break. Uh, notably said that this wasn't a retirement of the franchise or the right. creature of Godzilla itself. Is that this was just like you know they uh, you know they made some few movies. It was just time to take a, a break with the property. Um, so at this point, it has been one of <clears throat> the longest breaks uh, between Godzilla films and eras. Definitely with yeah. like this break of twelve years at this point. Um, and really, the instigating factor of of the of the film uh, is simply that the American film came out. So in December 2014, it was decided upon Toho around that time that with the success of you know Godzilla in the states, um, that now was as good a time as any to you know you know for lack of a better term capitalize on some of that success that with the 2014 yeah. movie Godzilla's back in the zeitgeist mm-hmm. um they had made no i mean they had made no uh definitive statements that they were done with the property so they're like oh well like you know let's 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 join in on this let's do that and um Toho at the time their agreement with Legendary did not um, exclude them from developing their own films or releasing their own films for Godzilla at all. I think the most of the rule was that uh, they couldn't release the same year. Mm-hmm. It was something like that. Uh, but other than that, they were like, well... Which would make sense and probably something you wouldn't want to do anyway to oversaturate that market. Mm-hmm. So uh, so with the success of the 2014 Godzilla, Toho was underway of like, all right, let's get the uh, King of the Monsters uh, back up and running. Um Obviously, the film would have no ties to the monster verse at all. It would be like mostly their their own thing. Um, going back all the way to the um, uh, days of Godzilla 2000 and Godzilla uh, 1984, where it was like, all right, we're going to start kind of from scratch. Uh, but even more so from there, uh, there weren't any plans that it was going to be like a sequel of any kind. Right, like those I films. Did, I did think about this, and this is the first time. Within the Toho canon, that 54 is not canon within this realm of this film. Mm-hmm. Because, obviously, with all the show-up films, they kind of, like, play off of that, or at least Godzilla's a known entity. 84 is, like, you know, it's the return of Godzilla, and that's whole part of it. And then all the Millennium films have at least 54 in mm-hmm. its canon. Whereas this one is, like, the first one that they've done, which is really, like, a true reboot of, like, everybody seeing Godzilla for the first time type of deal yeah and godzilla is like a new discovery which i think is fairly interesting for well, the toho canon and and i and i would if i had to garner a guess i would say that during that year 2014 toho had their eyes on the godzilla on the legendary godzilla 2014 movie to see how it was going to do mm-hmm. um so then by the end of the year they had announced that they were going to do it and they were shooting for 
um, because you know how Toho, they like to get, get them get, out quickly. Yeah, yeah, get them out quickly. Uh, but they were planning on a on a um, shooting in the summer of 2015, and that's when they were planning on shooting the movie. So my, if my guess was is that they had maybe some of these ideas ruminating in the meantime yeah. and then seeing how it like played explo- out in the States. Like exploration phase. Uh, De- true development, as it were. So uh, producers, Mina- uh Minami uh, Ichikawa and uh, Taiji Ueda um, took on uh, the took on uh, production leaders on the film um, or leadership roles on the production of the film, um, and uh, they were they were all in on trying to do this right now because we have to remember I think we talked about in the the Millennium era we were kind of entering this era of like all right now Godzilla is a proven property everybody has their own takes on Godzilla it's more of a beloved franchise now uh, Toho definitely has way more of a reverence for the King of the Monsters than they had in the past so they're like all right so if we're coming back we're going to do this right and uh, they would actually. Uh, start out by putting together a giant production team known as the Godzilla Conference or the Godzilla Con, uh, in that they would uh, everybody would get together, kind of like a big writers' room of people to like figure out like not only this but future Godzilla projects. Mm-hmm. So Toho is like all in on like, all right, let's uh, let's uh, give that. Which is funny because now, like at least for uh, that. It's funny that that was like a common practice for a while, even here in the states. At least that was like the publicity behind it. That there was like all these writer rooms to figure oh, out the, like the, how these franchises were gonna work. The Transformers writers. Room. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the Transformers writers room. Um. So, uh, with all so with all this going on, um, they were into big de- uh, big time development of the movie. And in March 2015, uh, Toho announced that the film would be co-directed by Hideki Anno and Shinji Higuchi. Um, both of the uh, both of these um, both of them collaborated on the uh, anime uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. And um, what was interesting is that Higuchi actually this was not his first uh, foray into the. Uh, got into the kaiju mm-hmm. filmmaking because he was actually the special effects director on the Hasey Gamera films. Okay. So he was so, and it's funny because this is the most blatant like callback to like the original Godzilla films in which, all right, you're going to bring in a director and you're going to bring in a special effects guy. And it's mm-hmm. notably that like, they're both credited as dual directors, but that was kind of the skill set. So there was a partnership between them already, but uh, Higuchi, like, you know, already had the skill set right. of directing uh, giant monster films. Um, so Ano would be writing the screenplay, where and Higuchi would be directing the special effects. Um, Toho had announced that um, that uh, filming would begin in the fall of 2015, and uh, they were uh, aiming for a release uh, in summer 2016. Um, and Toho started doing, speaking of, uh, you know, teasing the movie, as we were talking about earlier, uh, they uh, started promotional artwork by showing uh, posters of Godzilla's footprint and also confirming one major thing about this Godzilla is that it was going to be the tallest incar- incarnation of Godzilla ever, including the uh, legendary yeah. Godzilla, which at that point had been one of the biggest Godzillas ever. Which has also kind of become somewhat of a running joke between, because 
when you really look at, other than like the whole Millennium Era was supposed to rescue the franchise, that there really doesn't seem to be like a, an all-out rivalry between Toho and like any of the American-made productions. Because as we know, Toho is very open to yeah. Americans making a, a Godzilla yeah. film. But the one little bit of rivalry that has always been is like every time that the ball keeps on going back and forth, that each team keeps on making Godzilla bigger than the last one. And it's just kind of like a fun little little detail. I guess we, I mean, I don't know if we were going to discuss the the choice of Anno and his like pedigree, but like Anno and and you know, Evangelion is one of those like major mm-hmm. milestone anime in terms of kind of the story it tells, the emotional, you know, the emotional story it tells, and it's kind of you know famous moments and mm-hmm. worldwide success especially niche wise early on in in its american history in the 90s and then to the point where you know it was a big deal when evangelion in full was coming to netflix with you know the new mm-hmm. um the, the the new dubbing and the new subtitles that it had um but it's also the fact that it's it is one of those things where um and also it, evangelion has one of the most banger theme songs ever written um it should be noted duly noted but Anno, it, it, it pulling that out and bringing like in a what someone who is known mostly for for his anime direction and, and creating that milestone anime and giving him these reins mm-hmm. on this um on this franchise is, is very interesting especially on a on a toho sense where i feel like toho in the past has been very much kind of Sometimes internalized, but very much just kind of taking like you know, other people that have done other Toho projects or yeah, they they like keeping it in house, keeping definitely, it in house. And, and and really reaching out and going to the, this big name guy. Yeah, you know, it's like I mentioned when we did our deep director deep dive, it was kind of the inspiration for pick me picking Toriyama and you know the Dragon Ball creator for that list was like, well, you had like Ano and his team that you know really just kind of was it you know bringing out this new guy you know into the franchise a really fresh voice who's done something really major and giving him those reins to tell something interesting right and, and definitely within his style i mean i haven't seen all of evangelion uh, i actually you know have gotten a little bit more into sort of classic anime this year and i'm definitely interested in exploring evangelion at some point uh, especially because it's only like 20 episodes or 20 something episodes mm. uh, the original series not counting the five different endings Anno would do later. I don't know if it's actually five. It's it's infamous for having like so many different endings. Um But like I just like that's something that I think is very interesting to note. Yeah, I mean, and the last time when you think about this was when they did something because you're right, they normally keep it in house. And the biggest exception being in um uh with GMK, in which they went back and brought in some outside talent by getting the guy who, you know, directed all the Gamera films and yeah. kind of brought some new blood in. And it's interesting that uh, that being in, I think, because it was that in Final Wars where it seems to be like, you know, when they really go outside of, uh, right. you know, of the family is when they're really going to get something different. In, yeah, interesting, yeah. Um, and for better or for worse, but definitely interesting. And I think that, I, I think that like, when you look at it, that, like, going to Anno and, and pushing for Anno as a director is just an, it's an inspired choice. And I think, you know, it's just very interesting that it 
was able to come together in that fruition. Mm-hmm. So, uh, fun fact is that Toho, uh, when thinking about when's the next time that they wanted to do a Godzilla film, uh, it turned out that Anna was very much on their minds for quite some times, and they had actually, all the way back in 2013, had approached Anno uh, to see if he w- would have been interested in rebooting the franchise in general. So, they, they, he was definitely... if. In the top, if not on the top of the list of people that you know they wanted uh, to get get him on board for uh, to do a film. Um, at the time, Anno had uh, had completed uh, Evangelion, I think three. Um, it says right here, Evangelion. I'm not that, familiar with that, Evangelion. So that's at like all. the third ending. Yeah. So because basically, from what I understand. The anime, the original anime series ends with like one ending. Mm-hmm. And then he made like another episode or another movie where it's like a, kind of like a what if scenario of like if a character had made a different decision mm-hmm. within that ending. Mm-hmm. And then people were like, well, which one's the true ending? And then he made like a third ending, which I forget. There's either a third or a fourth, but one of them is basically just a retelling mm-hmm. of, Got of it. the story. And one of them is like a completely oddball thing that happens. And that's kind of what Evangelion fans like kind of get, it became infamous for was like oh well there's now like four different endings to it. Well, after uh, he had completed uh, three, uh, Anno had uh, actually had had opened up and said that he was very burnt out, very depressed after like going through this whole process of like of, of making these. Right. It's and- like, and it, I will say that it's kind of like it was a anime 2000s version of the rough fandoms we get these days mm-hmm. with that like second and third ending stuff that mm-hmm. he was like telling these stories that was just interesting and people were right you know people take their canon seriously right and it was like kind of these out of canon things were like confusing people from what i understand i could be wrong so anna was quoted as saying a representative from toho had contacted me directly saying we'd like to direct a new godzilla film at the time i was still recovering from ava 3 and right on the spot flatly refused the offer it's impossible to even begin to work on an- another ava um however toho's uh sincerity um, actually, that's not part of the quote. Sorry, that just uh, blonde in. But anyway, so basically, he just said like you know after the whole process of doing Evangelion, he was just like he can't even he couldn't even think about doing another Evangelion, much less like hopping on to like uh, something as massive as a Godzilla film. Right. Um, but uh, the uh, basically Toho really courted him, and they were very eager to have him on board. And uh, it was actually uh, Shinji Higuchi, um, his friend and co-director and co-director on this film, who had actually kind of uh, goaded him into like, all right, no, like this is something I think we can do. I think you'd be really good at. And uh, I'm going to hop on board with you to co-direct. Um, and uh, he, they had convinced him. And, and they, the reports say that he had convinced him very early on, so even in 2013, that this was something that he would want to do. Now, Toho had not made any official plans that this is what they were going to do, but it did show that Toho at least it, had a vision mind, of, yeah. Yeah, of, what, of what they wanted to do. They knew that Godzilla was coming back. Um, Anno had also admitted that one of the other fears that he had with accepting the film was just living up to the original 1954 film in general. Uh, he was quoted by saying, I refused the offer since I didn't have confidence that I could exceed the first film or come close to equaling it. But I thought that if I were to come close even a little, I would have to do the same thing as the first film. I would have to, yeah. And um, 
That makes sense when you watch the, the film. <laughs> so here here is an overall quote. So that that was kind of his attitude hopping on to the film. Yeah. And, you know, a uh, little bit uh, hesitant, but ultimately signed on. But when it comes to his thoughts on Godzilla himself, this is what Anno has to say. Um, strap it. Godzilla exists in a world of science fiction, not only of dreams and hopes, but he's a caricature of reality, a satire, a mirror image. Recently, Japan has also been careless in the way it has attempted to depict him. In all honesty, Japanese production budgets and schedules are so tight compared to the world's capital, not to mention the constraints imposed on filmmakers in terms of content. Frankly, I'm not sure how far outside the lines we can go. However, movies have pride, even trifling little even trifling little films. Therefore, just as in the case of the new Avas, I'm going in full force. When I think about what I've accomplished, the twists and turns uh, befitting a screenplay, everything has led to this point. Uh, I write this with the hope that the reader might understand, at least to some degree, that no matter what a creator says, it's just an excuse. Uh, it's just an excuse, but I am under pressure to make a visual uh, a visual effects fantasy film representative of modern japan with the full awareness of our current situation which will be subjected to intentions both good and bad from, from what i know about <laughs> evangelion that definitely sounds like the man who directed so what do you know what do you know i know zero it, if anything about it the thing about evangelion is that i know obviously it has like giant robots it has very much like emotional father son daddy issues and the thing about evangelion that i know is that it's one of those it's one of those like i'll call it a text it's one of those texts that has a lot of like deep and interpretive meaning mm -hmm. that there's a lot there's a big heaviness to what it says its message its drama and i again i don't i can't tell you the specifics because i'm not a wholly familiar with evangelion but it, it it has explored like I believe it explores stuff like depression and and you know stuff like that. And mm. I just know that like Evangelion is very much like an interpretive work, right? And, and okay. something that 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 Anno holds dear to himself, and something that he takes very seriously in terms of kind of presenting it as art. Mm -hmm. And that Evangelion is one of those early anime projects and one of those early anime stories that really shows the artistry of that particular genre and that particular style and the Japanese style of anime. Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of hearing the way that he thinks in terms of that, in terms of basically saying not just the stuff about, you know, Japanese filmmaking and production budgets, but also just kind of like, you know, giving that film like a meaning, I mm -hmm. guess, is like that's definitely what I took from that. Well, it's, it is interesting I think because that that's definitely him because I feel like he is one of those people that just has a lot of thoughts that needs to be put out in a specific way, right? Like in in a way that's like you know, kind of. And and Shin's not as I mean, Shin's definitely in some ways interpretive, a little bit more direct on its satire and its meaning and its messaging. But it's that same sort of thing where it's like even whether it's whether it's interpretive vagueness. Um, or highly specific that Anno's going into a project with like a thought process, a thing he wants to say, and he's gonna find a way to say it in a unique way. Right. It, it it's interesting to also look at it because he's one of the few directors who really hones in and focuses on the whole Godzilla supposed to represent. For la yeah, for lack of a better term, represent, represent something. say something. Mm -hmm. 
and not to belittle any of the other filmmakers, but there is definitely more of that reverence towards the franchise and what Godzilla has meant to them just as a form of entertainment. Yeah. Which there is absolutely room for well, that and, and has it, made some of the best Godzilla. This always films. goes back though to like the big thing about Godzilla is that it's kind of two different things. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of both of those things. Mm-hmm. It is this franchise that has its roots in this very serious, very emotionally driven story about Japan's relationship with nuclear weapons and the mistakes it's made in its past and coming back to haunt them mm-hmm. in that first 54 film. And uh, and sometimes that other films have tried to kind of capture that, like 84 and, you know, kind of some of the, like, re- redos of, like, okay, we're going to go back. Right. It's also a franchise that evolved into just pure, for lack of a better term, kind of more schlocky camp entertainment right where it's giant monsters fighting you know godzilla and kong stuffing trees down each other's throats and venetians becoming princesses and you know like crazy batman thieves and and son of godzilla and like all this stuff it became that Mm -hmm. and so there's kind of a duality of like you can make either one of those types of movies Mm -hmm. and both are right and i think one is easier than the other i do think it's like easier to make like kind of that campy fun crazy monster fight because mm-hmm. you can really just throw anything at the wall make it stick and that's kind of the fun part of it mm-hmm. whereas like when you and in the past when they've tried to do like okay what well, we're going back to like the reverence and the you know the nuclear weapons i right. think there's always kind of it's harder to do because it's such a specific message that you have to, to send well, and i think that's a, that i think we've talked about too but there is now that you're battling that reputation sometimes that, oh, yeah, Godzilla fights monsters. You're battling that sort of reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you're trying to do a little bit more like stepping back in that way, you really got to be careful with how you present it because you still got to make it like interesting or entertaining. Well, it's interesting because it's almost like the difference, like in a slight way, it's like the difference between Force Awakens, J.J. Abrams and last jedi ryan johnson in which like kind of like when you heard jj at the time and when you see the work of the movie it was very much like this movie is encapsulating all the the feels and the adventure of like star wars that we have come to know and love and ryan johnson's approach was a little bit more of like let's kind of do what the original movie did and being kind of like a, a subversive uh uh, sci-fi fantasy opera, if, if, if that makes yeah. sense, in a little bit. where, Because right. with a lot of these other directors, it's kind of like, I love Godzilla and I want to emulate all the things and do and put my own personal spin on it. Whereas Anno's kind of person, uh, like he seems to really hold reverence that original work as that's the text. Yes. And that's the thing yeah. that needs to be right. honored the mm-hmm. most. And it, and it is interesting to hear him kind of vocalize it in that way. And meanwhile, we want to make a Jet Jaguar movie. So, <laughs> so we know what side we're yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're 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 the James Gunn in all this. <laughs> like we want to take the weird thing and, and make a weird movie. That's out actually of it. a really good. If, if that's like the thing, we're we're the whole James Gunn thing. <laughs> we're trying to do our Lord Miller solo. <laughs> that's what we're trying to do. No, 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 no. That's a that's a okay. Uh, that's a that's a dangerous ground to tread right there because we're gonna get fired. <laughs> Um, so... Solo's a good movie. <laughs> it is. I like it. Um, so, uh... 
So principal photography began in, on September 1st, 2015, so uh, a little bit later than they thought. Um, started filming uh, on location in uh, Tokyo under the working title that would eventually become the actual title itself, Shin Gojira or Shin Godzilla. Um, when talking about the title, pro uh, producer Akihiro Yamauchi uh, stated that the title Shin Gojira was chosen uh, because of the variety of meanings that Shin could mean, and that ranged from anywhere between new, true, or God mm -hmm. were things. So it was kind of God, Godzilla. Going, yeah, going back to uh, earlier in the podcast, an amorphous term. <laughs> I'm going to keep with amorphous. <laughs> um. Uh, Yamauchi has said that, um, you know, he just wanted to reiterate that, you know, this was actually, you know, making a new Godzilla movie was actually a long time coming. It wasn't just because the American film came out and now they got the green light. It was just, you know, but as a producer, I'm sure that's kind of how he that's felt a, about that's it. A, yeah. that's talk. I mean, that's a, that's a talk. I mean, whatever the truth is, it's like you, you got to, you know, as a producer, that's part of your job is mm. to just talk and make things look good when things are not looking good. Right. I mean, but not that to say that it's just like, when you have the opportunity to like you know yeah of course we we were we were, we were not waiting for america yeah. to do well oh yeah you got yeah. you, you got to yeah you can't you can't make it seem uh that yeah, like you, you're you at the will you, you cannot say yeah no, we were waiting for america to, to kick our butts and then yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah which is kind of interesting given the context of of this, of movie. The, of this movie of some of the things in the movie yeah um, some other things behind the scenes of making this is uh, the music. Uh, the music was composed by Shiro Sagusu, uh, Sa Sagisu, um, who had worked with Anno on some of the Evangelions. Um, there are actually various remixes of uh, some of the yes. songs from They're, Evangelion. Yeah. The, the biggest one being uh, the Decisive Battle, I think is the... Yeah, Decisive yeah. Battle is like the big one that was remixed. Uh, for, I, again, for I haven't one. seen Evangelion, but when I was looking up Shin Godzilla reviews on Letterboxd, mm -hmm. one of the top reviews, like I, I lost it when the Evangelion theme kicked in. Yeah. So uh, it definitely seems like that Decisive Battle theme is very famous among Evangelion fans. And there's a couple of pretty, like Shin Godzilla has become somewhat known uh, in a very uh, particular way for its unique soundtrack a lot. Right, because there are, uh, besides the use of Evangelion songs, mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of direct, basically, covers mm -hmm. of Ifakuve scores. Oh, yeah. Like, there's very much, like, it's not even like, like new versions of them. It's very much like, oh, here is, like, this you know this score and that score like from this movie oh yeah like the the ifakube um uh tracks um ano actually wanted to go back and he wanted to get those tracks and re uh and redo them and transfer them into stereo because really only like the mono versions of those uh of those tracks exist mm. uh, and he wanted to switch them to stereo but ultimately that became a little too cumbersome so he just kind of like kept it which is, is interesting because when you watch it in the movie in the context of the movie they all none of them are like big re-recorded orchestrations it's not like bear mccreary's work with the score right, it's yeah. like they're not doing well it's and, not like what like you know like that or like what chikino does with his star trek score exactly it's, it's very much like it's the straight up if akube original version of yeah. the scores which i think is actually i mean pretty effective i think in 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 
it, it's used well. Yeah, I think that if I'm not mistaken, because if you go on the actual soundtrack, they it, it's credited as which movies yeah. uh, they're from. So the big like da 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 like that whole yeah. that part of the theme uh, is lifted from Terror of Mecha Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when that from, and I believe the march itself, the version that they use, is from King Kong versus Godzilla, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, I may be misremembering it, but the point is, it's like it actually became this deep dive into Ifakube's work. But not only that, we get the famous uh, military uh, theme. Yes, bum, 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 our, our news bum. theme. Yeah, we get that, and then we also get um, even uh, the track Godzilla Godzilla Comes Ashore um, plays at one point during the film. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we'll talk about how they fit in the film uh, during conversation of the film, but... Um, but the soundtrack itself it has become known because there's a lot of like very familiar tracks. There's the big um, there's the big song that plays during the uh, destruction of the city, mm-hmm. uh, the big atomic breath scene. Uh, that is a very unique track. And then the uh, the first track that plays, um, I think it's called Percussion of the Masses. I want to say is um, the uh, it's the it's the bit that plays during. Uh, when Godzilla is first, without getting too much into the movie, uh, crawling onto shore uh, mm-hmm. in the first like destroy the first big city destruction scene, mm-hmm. um, and that's the song that not only plays in the movie but it it infamously not infamously famously played during the uh, trailer for for the film. And I remember because I remember hearing that trailer, I was like, oh, that's interesting trailer music, and it actually was music in the film, and it's also a very unique soundtrack for it. Um, you know, I have often, I don't know if I've ever really expressed it on the podcast, but I can often be a little bit, um, I don't want to say critical, but very bewildered by soundtrack uh, sensibilities or score sensibilities in Japanese films. Uh, because sometimes I tend to think like they get like a little bit all over the place, and yeah. sometimes they don't tonally match up completely with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, GMK was a big example of that, yeah. where like the soundtrack just did not work organically for for me at all. I mean, the work itself was probably fine, but just like context wise, it, it it didn't it didn't necessarily work for me. Yeah. Um, but this one has kind of it, it it's very much has a variety of different sounds. Um, but it, with those two big things, there's like big orchestras and there's choirs and, yeah. uh, lots of like pianos and like, uh, I think a lot of the military stuff has like the drums and mm-hmm. the sticks and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turned out to be one of the Godzilla films that actually has like the most unique, uh, new scores, at least, at least for me. Yeah. And it kind of mixes in between those two things. Mm-hmm. I think that like it mixes between those like straight up if a base things. Uh, with kind of its more original stuff. Um, and then another thing is, like, briefly on the marketing, uh, um, Toho was slowly but surely marketing the movie. Uh, they were slowly revealing what Godzilla would look like. Uh, I remember the first time I saw what this initial Godzilla looked like. It was very jarring. Um, but uh, the, one of the first trailers that came out of it was very reminiscent of, like, Cloverfield. Uh, there's a bit in the movie that kind of has, like, a like a found footage camera, like, look to it. It's not what the movie actually is, but um, I remember distinctly, like, they were showing some of the footage, and it's like, oh, they're, everybody's running away from a monster, and they do the famous three 
giant footsteps and then the old school roar come comes into play and it was like oh shin godzilla um but speaking of shin godzilla before we get into the movie itself nick there is no new monster in this film but even better i got a better one for you we have a new godzilla in this film we do brand new godzilla design up to bat um Interestingly enough, has actually taken the place as the new Godzilla mascot. If you look on, like, I think it was the 60 Years of Godzilla yeah, and logo. Yeah, at, at the booth, yeah. Yeah, at, at the, the booth. At, at, at the booth at Comic-Con, it was that, they, they kind of debuted that logo, and it's like it had the Shin Godzilla yeah. version on it, yeah. Um, this was, as as they uh, as his name, Shin Goji, is... Uh, it's definitely a different approach. <laughs> well, yeah, because should I go... So there's basically, like... It's almost, in some ways, very Hedorah-ish where there's evolutions yeah. to this Godzilla. Because uh, when Godzilla first appears... Oh, yeah. I guess this is, like, the big thing that we should mention Yeah, about. so, like, when he first appears, he's crawling on all fours. He seems like he's not fully put together. He kind of almost feels like he's kind of weak in some senses. Mm. Like, has bigger eyes and, and is, like, you know, just kind of, like, you know... Basically a crawling, mm-hmm. almost like Anguirus kind of mm-hmm. a little bit. And then eventually he kind of evolves into a more familiar bipedal form mm. uh, that definitely is big, uh, nasty uh, looking, looking thing, like a big monster. Um, has some different abilities as well. Uh, his, his, I found an interesting couple of things like his... Um, when he does his his atomic breath, his like jaw like basically comes unhinged mm-hmm. almost and like widens to an abs- absurd degree, and I mean he also does have the ability to to shoot his l- <laughs> atomic breath lasers from his fins, yeah. as well, <laughs> which is fairly interesting. Um, but but the 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 biggest thing like the actual base Godzilla design, like the the thing yeah. that people would probably point at is like as, that's as what Godzilla, Godzilla looks like in the film. It's this kind of like upright walking super tall emotionless charred up burnt up son of a bitch yeah <laughs> it is yeah it's definitely got like a like a, a grimier look yeah to him like a lot yeah the chart is like a good way to put it um very much more like kind of not like as smoothly de- designed a little bit more like like a creature mm-hmm. like more so on that kind of creature monster side as opposed to like kind of the well-designed like character mm-hmm. that uh, previous Godzilla and iterations have been. Yeah, it's definitely without like really. It, it, it's funny thinking that like still the uh, the TriStar '98 Godzilla film is still like the biggest like departure to the point that it's not even Godzilla. But Shin Godzilla stands out to me as. The biggest departure, but still keeping like yeah. you can still recognize it, it as once, Godzilla. Once it gets to that bipedal form, yeah. you definitely know like okay, that's Godzilla. But it was one. Of I those- will say though, I got to admit, I did think that when he was in that kind of four legged form, yeah, I thought it was gonna be a different monster. I thought the- you know you're not the only person who said that to me. I I thought it was like okay, well they found this thing and then like the whole thing was like oh they think it's like that's it and then Godzilla comes and there's this even bigger monster that mm-hmm. like completely destroys the other one. Uh huh. But then it's not. No, we uh I we had a uh, Patrick friend of the podcast uh also said that to me that uh he he went in 
not knowing about like the evolutions and that he thought that that initial monster was going to be like like kind of like very much like the Mutos where it was yeah. going to be like that's like a new monster he's got to fight and then eventually Godzilla uh would show up um but uh yeah this one was when I initially saw this Godzilla and this is what he was going to look like very thrown mm-hmm. and did not know if I liked it at all. And yeah. I think that made I can imagine that, especially if you don't really see it in motion or if you see it in like limited motion in a trailer. I feel this is like a Godzilla that you kind of need to see in a movie to get your full formed opinion on. Yeah, it's it's listen, it's it's uh, like I can look at the GMK design and like know that like, I don't like the no eyeballs. Uh-huh. Like I can look at that and say like the no eyeballs. Yeah, but this work. this one has like it doesn't really have a mouth. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely right. it, it's just got these jagged even, open teeth. Right, because even the mouth, like I said, it's like the mouth, like when it when it opens, it's like almost like kind of like makes it even more monstrous because it just doesn't feel like it feels like it just keeps expanding. And it's got these sunken little eye, beady little eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Its body looks like cellul uh like I, I was gonna say celluloid burns. Is that what I don't or uh, no clayot. Uh, Clay, clayode burns it's like like the burns when like you know like a uh, radioactive like burns um I couldn't tell you. yeah uh they I couldn't, uh, huh? I couldn't tell you could you tell me no 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 are you sure are you keeping something I, from me what are you doing over there you could can you tell me can you tell me nick can you tell me I'm a dog <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, it's also got a extremely long tail. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got arms that cannot be used, uh, big old legs, a protruding rib cage. It looks like it, it's an abomination. Definitely. It's and mon- I don't mean that mon- critically. You no, know, it's a monster. Yeah. It, it looks like true- something, but it looks like something's wrong with it too. Like it looks like it does not belong of earth or of nature. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think uh, this was uh, definitely intentional because Higuchi had said that uh, in designing this Godzilla that they had intended to provide the most terrifying Godzilla that Japan's cutting-edge special effects movie-making uh, can muster, uh, which came down to not only the look but how it was also achieved. Um, now, probably one of the most surprising aspects of it is that this is... The first time in Toho's history that Godzilla was achieved using entirely motion capture and CGI. There is no suit used for Shin Godzilla in this film. I mean, like I kind of gathered that. Yeah. Could I, you th- I will say. Because that's lo- a piece of information I've told some people, and they're like, wait, what? <laughs> the I kind of I kind of knew it. But the upright Godzilla consistently looks great throughout this movie Mm -hmm. the bipedal one definitely looks like a cg creation it's pretty good though the the, the four-legged one yeah i I think it's more so the eyes of that one more Mm -hmm. than anything else because the eyes on that on that four-legged one bug out a little more now what i will say about that though is i kind of liked how that four-legged version despite it being very clearly cg also had a very rubber look to it Mm -hmm. which kind of made it seem like a suit oh uh, ano uh that was uh ano's request is that they uh this the special effects artist wanted to kind of make something a little bit more lifelike Mm and it's like skin tone and everything but um he actually said that he wanted more of like the make it look a little bit more like a suit. but like the traditional like like two-legged 
monstrous Godzilla that we've been talking about. It looks consistently good in terms of it being like a CG creation. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It, it's pretty. It's pretty impressive because you would be forgiven to watch this entire movie and then the, just to think that it was a guy in a suit. Uh, some of it has to also do with like the creature itself. Uh, it's a very uh, static creature. It, 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 it doesn't move that much. In fact, I, I think some of the times it moves when it does faster movements you can you you can tell that's like when you can most tell yeah and you and you can sometimes tell the most like whenever it's like being combined with other effects like there there's some um there's some like when it's getting shot at like by like big explosives that you can tell then a lot but you know i don't want to get down the rabbit hole of like pointing out when you can tell it's a special effect because it clearly doesn't exist it's it's, it's a giant special effect but it is funny though because Originally, a giant uh, puppet from of its uh, torso up uh, was made uh, and was going to intentionally be used for uh, close-ups and uh, things like that. But uh, it was deemed unnecessary and they didn't need to use it. And uh, the reason people knew about that was because uh, during earlier behind-the-scenes uh, posters and production, uh, they were the images that they were releasing were of the practical Godzilla. Um, which, when you look back at those images, it's slightly different because I'm assuming they touched things up uh, by yeah. the end. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so we got our uh, fully CG uh, Shin Godzilla. And fun facts uh, about the um, oh, and was also uh, motion captured, making yeah. it uh, the second uh, Godzilla that was quote unquote motion captured for a majority of the film, including our um, you know our legendary Godzilla. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that brings us up to date on uh, Godzilla, the movie. Uh, Toho uh, put a lot of effort. They were very. They had a vision for this one, or at yeah. least they knew the man with the vision for this film. And uh, with all of that said, I think it's time to really delve into Hideki Anno's uh, film, Shin Godzilla. So Goromaki hated the radiation sickness that took his wife's life with every fiber of his being. He hoped to find a way to render radioactive materials harmless. Well, if something like that could be possible, then so too could the creation of new material. He must have feared the military would use it. That certainly would explain why he redacted the DOE data. Professor Maki hated radioactive materials and possibly even anyone or anything who worked with them. And that includes Japan, which left his wife to die. But then he leaves his data with a note that says, do as you please. What a strange guy. But just what did Maki do in the end? Nick, th this one, this film brings, like, for me, like, an interesting conversation because I have a lot of things that I do want to say about the film itself, but 
I do want to kind of take more of the time to maybe as opposed to coming to the table with a bunch of things to say about it. I want to I want to have a, a bit a, kind of a round table of two and, and have yeah. a discussion about really peeling back the layers of everything to have to do because there, there is a, a there's, there's a, a lot to unpack. There's a lot. I mean, again, it's an all <laughs> production and. As much as I don't know, I wasn't able to watch all of Evangelion before this podcast. Yeah. I just watched the theme song twice um, because it's again it's a banger theme song. Um, it definitely is like from what I know of Anno when I know of Evangelion. Again, it's a movie that makes sense that it, it's his production mm-hmm. because it's very deep and very layered. Some things you have to interpret in. Some things are very much more on the nose, especially for this one more so than from what I know about Evangelion. That's a little bit more again overall interpretive. Uh, with his characters, uh, so, but there, but there's is generally a lot that is being said here. So I want to go do it this way. Um, what was your? What did you know about the film going in? Because I am curious as somebody who's kind of like sat on the film uh, without seeing it. Like you just waited to yeah. see it for this long. Oh. So at this point, it's been out for uh, three years, yeah. and you had not seen it, mm-hmm. and then first impressions of the movie uh, after seeing it. So going into the movie, what was your feelings? And then coming out, what were your feelings? So all I really knew about this film was it was called Shin Godzilla. It was directed by the people who made the Evangelion anime. And a major part of its inspiration came from the tsunami and the natural disasters that had hit Tokyo earlier in that decade. Um, that is really all I went in knowing about mm-hmm. the movie. Um, other than it was like kind of a, you know, modern version of Godzilla. Uh, coming out of it. <laughs> um, the, this is the most emotional Godzilla <laughs> film since 54. Uh huh. And I say that. Like and it's not to say that those other Godzilla films don't have emotion. There's right. definitely emotion in uh like Ghidorah. There's definitely emotion in, you know, like Mecha Godzilla and, and against and all that sort of stuff. There's definitely emotional films. But this one really fits into that nineteen fifty four emotion because that nineteen fifty more fifty four emotion is based on, you know, those that Joe's Japanese mistakes of World War Two, mm-hmm. the you know the sins of the past and the nuclear weapons, and there's that real emotion. And I think about always go back to. I mean, and Fifty Four is still the best. It's still like the best film because it's just how resonant it is for that period of time. And I always go back to the praying scene in that movie mm-hmm. and how emotional it is and how well it fits into what that movie's trying to say. That this movie does a very similar thing, just with a different subject matter, and it does do it with that emotional, like response to these big tsunamis that hit Japan and devastated Japan within earlier in the decade. And there's a similar sequence, and I'm just gonna go to it. It's the sequence where Godzilla's in this movie, Godzilla's atomic breath is fully revealed, mm-hmm. not just in. Oh, you mean the scene of the movie? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, but, but, but that's what I'm talking about. It was like, it's the scene in the movie where Godzilla's atomic breath is fully revealed and he's basically just kind of going wild with it and just, it's obliterating buildings and just decimating the city. And then, of course, it also has it coming out of its, um, its you know, dorsal fins or whatever you call them. It's like scales and stuff and it's just 
completely decimating everything. And the way that the, the 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 movie up to that point, the way that scene is presented, you feel this um this desperation of what are we go? What is this? What are we doing? What can we do about this? And it's almost just like this means of relaying that emotion, and you just kind of feel you feel it. I feel it in the heart right there. Mm-hmm. I feel it about like again, this is a movie being made about a very specific tragedy mm-hmm. within Japanese history. The other thing I will say about it, and I, we'll talk more about that scene, I think, specifically as we go through our roundtable and our, our movie discussion. It's also very interesting because this is very distinctly, to me, the most human-heavy Godzilla film. Hmm. Because we've talked about other Godzilla movies where Godzilla, we, we talk about how Godzilla is presented more as the force of nature than a character, mm-hmm. especially within those early Hasty films. That's kind of how it's presented. But this one, I feel it's almost literal. I the Godzilla definitely, you know, has its different quirks and different aspects, but really this movie presents Godzilla as a natural disaster. Mm-hmm. A thing that the human politicians, the main characters of this movie, are trying to deal with. Mm-hmm. More so than actually being a monster, he is literally a destructive force of nature that we need to stop. Within that realm, it's super interesting because I would say, and I haven't, I will admit, this is, these are not usually my type of movies, so I don't see these types of movies a lot, but this is genuinely one of the best movies about politics I have seen mm-hmm. because I think it's very nuanced and very wide breathed in the way it talks about politics and politicians and gives it almost a very realistic edge and, and kind of the double edged sword that being a politician is the big decisions of damned if you do damned if you don't that a lot of these types of situations credit and it created a very fascinating film mm-hmm. altogether with the heavy emotion relating to you know the natural disasters at Japan combined with the political nature of the film combined with the the general kind of aura this movie has it's it's definitely a contender of one of the top i think and i think it's just something that if nothing else is super fascinating mm-hmm. yeah i have seen this movie several times and I remember the first time that I finally got around to seeing it and was just really in awe of how much it successfully emulated the first film and succeeded in a lot of that way and I and I don't want to say succeeded where a lot of other uh, the movies failed but just that you can tell that Anno went back to the original text of that work and was more inspired by that and then was ultimately created a work that um, still had its foot in the reverence for Godzilla. And not necessarily the reverence, but just kind of like that uh, historical respect for the original film. But also creating something a little bit more uh, contemporary and also evolving on some of its its themes. Uh, the, the biggest thing, obviously, is like what you said is in a lot of the things which are... Um, very much intentional in the film about uh, it being Godzilla is more of the force of nature, uh, being more of the uh, analogy for the Fukushima disaster, and um, the big take on politics, which, uh, you know, hey, it's like bringing in some politics in, into a Godzilla movie. Yeah. And it's funny, in, in many ways, I had 
hinted at this and seeing this again uh, would really bear down on this is that it's a much better – there's plot elements – that are much better handled on in here than they were in 1984 because 19 there there are some striking similarities between certain elements and we'll we'll get to some of the those plot points as we go on um but the biggest thing is and, and it's interesting is here you say like it's a very like human story and 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 I do believe that but I would almost go a step further and say like it's really like one that captures not necessarily for me a human story, but a humanity story. Yeah, and, and it's, that's kind of it, what I I kind of mean. right. That's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. Um, I think the direction is very unique, and it has its own particular uh quirkiness to it. And by quirkiness, I don't mean necessarily funny. It's just some of these avant-garde choices in the music and the editing it's making. I think that once you see the film the portrayal of Godzilla as the creature himself has become an instant all-timer within the canon. I'm still more partial to the more Heisei-looking ones, so this always stands out as, like, an alternative look at Shin Godzilla. But when you look at, like, alternative looks at Godzilla, like if you take GMK, for example, that this one kind of stands out a little bit because this one feels, in some ways... Ano makes a film that is very different and is an alternate take at Godzilla, but without having to be an eye-rolling deconstruction of Godzilla. I think when I was earlier, I mean, this is what I was kind of hinting at. I wanted to save it again for the movie discussion. When I was saying earlier that it's tough to make a movie like 54 again, and it's definitely been attempted a couple times within our canon, the difficulty in that is that a lot of times the instinct is like, well, we just... T- tell the same story about 84 we ca- we continue to talk about the nuclear weapons mm-hmm. and world war ii and i mean that's kind of what 84 does that's what gmk doubles down on in a lot of ways um not much much nuclear but the world war ii stuff and it's kind of like you know trying to keep that fresh mm-hmm. and relevant and not drawing a direct comparison avoiding drawing that direct comparison to 54 because you're talking about the same exact things what Anno does in this movie is he takes a modern take on it. He takes he basically makes 54 for 2016 in the sense of what was Japan dealing with at that time. Right. Not just, you know, and the nuclear question definitely still comes up, still a part of the story, but it's not the main focus because nuclear Well, it was also a part of, you know, uh, of the actual Fukushima disaster yes, as well. The so Fukushima it's, disaster like and, even... and, and but it's like the Fukushima disaster as well as you know, like the tsunamis that it hit Japan, as we talked about as well. There, there is this sense of like, Ano. The the reason that this movie succeeds in being like Fifty Four is that it just is Fifty Four for twenty sixteen. It's taking those elements of what's going on with Japan now, instead of refocusing in on what was going on in Japan in nineteen fifty four, mm. which I think is like again what eighty four and stuff like two thousand even deals with a little bit more uh, in the millennium era in general. Um, this one creates something new, something fresh that resonates with the now, uh, in a modern style, with modern, you know, humor and 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 drama and something that fits within the realm that it is. It's not trying to be something in the past. And I think that's where this movie most succeeds is that it feels like something different, um, but still retaining that core personality of what the 54 film is and the emotion, the feelings that it does try to give. 
Um, but it just, again, presents it in a way that more resonates with, with a modern audience. And I think that is also very hard, but I think it's a smart choice to do. And I think Anno is very much someone who, when he looks at 54, again, he's not trying to remake 54. He's trying to make his 54. Yeah, and I'm sometimes hesitant to give people the credit. Of, this is going to sound harsh, but I'm I'm often hesitant to call people smart sometimes uh, especially when it comes to films because i think sometimes like smart can be confused with like well-spoken and i think you know because smart to me is like you know you really got to do something that is like very like unexpected like you like really just thought of it like yourself and like created it yourself in a very unique way that nobody else could and i think that and i know it's like a weird distinction but when it comes to art uh, that's because I feel like when it comes to art, like somebody can like, you know, uh, hash out the same drivel that you've always heard, but they say it very well and they're and they're very mm-hmm. passionate and they they yeah. say it in an interest. They, they say it in an interesting way and they're well spoken and they're good at it, but it doesn't strike me as like, you know, if they're just saying the same thing everybody else is saying, then, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, smart to me. There's a lot of smart decisions, I think, in this movie just to make the entire piece work. I think in the portrayal yeah. of what what they want to do with Godzilla, I think that the amount of uh, callbacks to the original Godzilla are very effective and very fun. Um, I feel like there is an escalation of danger and scale in the movie that keeps it from being a blockbuster, but also really hammers home like the urgency and the stakes of what's going on. 100%. And I think that's definitely where... I mean, again, it's like... Now even having talked about this, even just the briefly that we have, talking about Anno, I'm, I'm much more interested in checking out that original Evangelion mm-hmm. run because I definitely want to see... Because you're very right in that Anno seems like a smart filmmaker, mm-hmm. just just the way that he presents himself and in the in in the legacy that he's left behind, or you know, just with with this and Evangelion, just like kind of his reputation kind of precedes him in that way. But I would definitely agree with that. The again, it's like it really is just feels like you're making fifty four again, but in a in a new light, right. and I think that. In that same way, it's just so so well put together in terms of that emotional pacing, mm-hmm. I think. And the you know, and, and especially you know, how we follow the pol- political and the politicians that we what we continue to follow and, mm-hmm. and then kinda how those different political angles spin off into these other stories and these other analysis aspects analyzing various aspects of politics about Japanese culture Japanese history this movie we we really it weaves a lot Mm -hmm. it weaves a lot into its runtime in terms of its themes and what's I think what's most amazing about it is that really none of them feel lost in that shuffle I feel like everything kind of has a place in terms of what is trying to be said and when it weaves in the current political climate when it weaves in aspects of Japanese history and Japanese culture and sort of that political culture and 
you know, kind of having his team, you know, having the big leaders and the old timers and then having this team of young outcasts trying to really figure out the mm-hmm. the thing and like kind of the dynamic between that. And there's just so much that is weaved in and out. And it, it really just feels like it's kind of a masterclass and kind of just, you know, putting that out there. And, well, what I think one of the biggest things that is the most fascinating about this movie, more so than any Toho production, I think, um, and GMK kind of does this, but this movie puts Japan on blast. <laughs> it is very unapologetic in talking about this is what's wrong, like with it, like it, like mm-hmm. this, Japan does not, and I don't know, I just don't mean the destruction in the movie. It's just thematically and story wise, is that Ano is putting right. very much the critical eye on on uh the the Japanese government and its people and the way in which it, and its place in the world mm-hmm. and i think what makes him smart is that and very bold in a way is that very little of the film revolves that around like japan being the underdog which is like you know i'm not saying that there's there's i'm not saying that's a wrong approach to it but this is definitely a filmmaker looking, I feel, at his own country and being like, no, 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 we're big boys, like, you know, and we got to own up to some of the shit that we're not doing correctly. Yeah. And I think that that's a very well, bold it, way, and, and especially it, if you look at, there's a moment in this film that's v- the same moment in 84, and it's the big, Godzilla. there's this big, like, Godzilla attack going on in Japan, and the, and the world leaders are upset. And it's our favorite scene in the movie where they must use the nuclear weapons. Like that scene. The same scene or plot point is in this movie. But when it happens in this movie, you're like, Jesus. (laughs) You are so emotionally hit by it. Yeah, it's You feel that this movie is what Anno feels. Right. And I think that's what makes it, again, like 54. Because what 54 was doing was that's what Honda felt. Mm Mm-hmm. But the reason I brought it up is because no, no. no but I, I definitely agree because eighty four is a very direct comparison because it is eighty four is also trying to be fifty four again, right? And but what I'm trying to say is like that one. It you know I don't want to really say, you know eighty four is not one of the best ones, and there's a kind of a superficial nature to it almost, right? It's it's basically like we need Godzilla to return. Well, we're gonna just basically you know redo fifty four. We're mm-hmm. gonna do fifty four, the the same story, kind of a pseudo remake, pseudo sequel. And it's like there's not really much emotion behind it, right? Whereas this movie, you just you feel the passion mm-hmm. of what's being said, and that's where the emotion comes from. And that's why I say it is the most emotionally resonant and the most emotional Godzilla film since '54, because it is the one where it's like what's being said just feels so personal. Mm-hmm. It feels like it really is Anno just you know putting his heart on the page. Mm-hmm. And saying this is what's wrong with the country that I, you know, I live in, the country I love. This is what we could be better at. And it does it without dramatizing in a way where they like, uh, like in '84, where they create a pseudo bad guy in the other countries. And did, have you ever have you seen The Martian? Ridley Scott's The Martian with Matt Damon. I actually have not. One of the things I love about that movie was that it's a very straightforward. I don't want to say bare bones, but very straightforward, like, 
this is what's going on with like he's stuck on Mars and this is how everybody's dealing with it to try to get him back. Yeah. There's no bad guy. There's no there's not even the character where it's like they have something where like, you know, they're they're the they're the that fucking guy of the movie where it's like the closest thing to an antagonist in the movie. You know, there's always like that yeah. kind of guy where he's like, Yeah, but like that's gonna cost us millions of dollars. So he's always trying to undermine yeah, yeah. the operation, even if it's like not super villainy, but in a way. And it's very easy to make a movie like this and to have that uh, plot yeah, point. And there's really not. It, it really yeah. is just a, this is a country trying to deal with it. And in a way... Every, all the all the setbacks and antagonism there is feels natural. Mm-hmm. Feels like the natural next step. Which I think, again, what you're saying is like a lot of movies, the instinct... And a lot more movies I wish, like, not every movie needs to do this, but some movies I wish would do this where you don't really need, you're right, you're like like The Martian. It's like you don't really need that villain. Right. You just need the drama. Right. And I think that's what this movie presents. Like, when it presents those issues of America and the UN getting involved, it's not necessarily an, an antagon- antagonistic sort of way. It's not like we're presenting the U.S. and presenting the UN as these villainous figures that are trying to, like, meddle in Japan's affairs. When the movie is presented, it seems like the natural next step politically, and you know. Oh, you get it. No, you absolutely. Oh, don't. you get why they make the decisions they want to make. Yeah, like, and it, and it's they even have the characters in the film Admit acknowledge it. that. I mean, like, dude, they're not wrong. Yeah, it's like, like if we, like, honestly, like, and it, there's an insinuation that they don't say it, but like, if this was happening anywhere else, but this is what would when, have to when happen. When I go back and when I say that this movie is one of the better political films i've ever seen hey hey hey! keep your your politics out of godzilla best best movies about politics i've seen (laughs) that is one of the reasons that the politics in this movie feel 100 percent natural every decision that these politicians make every discussion that's had feels like it could be a discussion happening next door Mm -hmm. in washington in you know you know right in wherever capital Whatever, like whatever is going on. If there was like a disaster happening, and we had a competent, somewhat competent, maybe not so competent presidency and 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 cabinet in the White House, these discussions are happening. Right. And the sequence of events, every decision that's made is given reverence. Mm-hmm. Every decision that made is thought out. And you sometimes wonder, well, could they have made another decision or was that the only decision they could have made? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what really the political nature of this film succeeds is because it just feels so natural. And the moments where you know they're going to make mistakes, you completely get why they've made that decision. But it's not in a way that undermines you watching the movie. It only makes the movie more fascinating and the movie more interesting from a dramatic standpoint. Well, let's let's talk about that uh, since we're on the politics so much of it because you're absolutely right about all this, but the biggest kind of target of it is really a takedown on how Japanese politics work in the terms of all the red tape and there's so many like, you know, rules and laws and legislations that in a weird way can be like, you know, written up and like passed by, but it's almost kind of like, like, like satirical and laughable that like you know they could just make all these decisions but they have to go through this process of like uh, well they like, have to have they, like through three they have to go through like three different meetings well, they have to have and, a meeting and then there's another decision that has to have a different meeting and then like everybody has to have their say mm-hmm. 
like you know all the all the cabinet members have to have like their say and mm-hmm. then like there's people and, like and, no, and there's no room for improvisation because everybody's like but the the book didn't say this i don't know what to do and like there, there's right. a bunch of that going on um and then it is like also and nothing's getting done it's well, like nothing's getting done and it also it's like it is what happens when there's something that's not in the books mm-hmm. because i think the other aspect of this is because obviously the big event is Something is going on, even before we know it's a monster. Something is going on in, like, basically this underwater tunnel that mm. they have. And there's, like, leakage and there's stuff like that. And there's kind of like, well, you know, the, we, we can't just close the tunnel, but we have to because it's leaking. Well, what's going on? Could it be, you know, steam? Could it be, like, a pocket of energy? Like, what could it be? And then, you know, there's all these other theories. And then, like, you know, even the guy, you know, one of our main characters is bringing up the fact that it could be a large animal that's doing this and everybody's like obviously dismissing it but as the you know realization of what's happening slowly comes to light when you see the tail when it's confirmed it's an animal that it, what could it be it's not a whale like it can't, what what happens you definitely see the thought process of like nobody knowing what to do when it's something new mm-hmm. nobody knowing what to do when there's a situation that has never presented itself that everybody knows what to do in these situations, you know, that happen all the time or have been well prepared for. Well, what struck me upon this rewatch was how almost, like, funny it was is at every single turn there was more of, like, all right, here are the three options of how to do it. So there's, like, all this talk about, well, what is it? Like, what what, what uh, cracked the tunnel and what's going on there? Well, it's not an animal, so they go through this whole rigmarole. They go through all these meetings. Then they find out it's an animal. All right, well, they do, like, all, like all right, well, like, uh, all right, here's the three options of how to deal the animal. All right, we, we dispatch. Got, we, all right, how do we dispatch? <laughs> like, like we got to kill it or we got to save it for, like, research. Well, we're just going to kill it. Well, yeah. how do we kill it? Well, what we don't even know what it is. Mm-hmm. And like, well, wait, maybe we should wait and see what it does. Maybe it's not, you know, it can't come on land. Mm-hmm. Of course it comes on land and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But there's like, it really is. It's like that the first part of this movie is completely on that human character is just trying to figure out what, what is going on. Right, right. And you're right in that it becomes sort of a nice satire, a nice comedic satire while retaining that emotion because you just see so many meetings, mm-hmm. so many different rooms. They have to move to the boardroom, to more casual room, back to the boardroom. Oh, turn on the TV. What's going on now? Okay, well, we got to completely switch the decision. I got to do a press conference of, like to tell everybody what's going on. And, I gotta but I got to make sure they're, they're fine. So I'm going to tell them it can't. You know, are you sure you can't come on land? It can't come on land. It can't support its own weight. Well, one of the best lines of dialogue was is that they're going to pass, I forget what it's called in the film, but essentially a Godzilla bill. And a character has this thing like, well, passing this is going to take forever because this is something we don't know and nobody wants to be responsible for it. So expect it just to be a lot of like passing the buck until this even gets passed. Yeah. And it just was like a funny it's that was such a nice little throwaway line to just really talk about the futility it, of what's going you know what? on. Like what's funny about the way that this movie moves, especially in the beginning, it is almost like kind of a it feels like a Japanese Aaron Sorkin type of movie. Yes, because, it does. Because the pace of everything that happens, you know, when they're making all these decisions, it basically is a lot of throwaway lines like that. Mm. Things that seemingly throw away because it's just like they're they're just decisions being put out there 
theories and and you know we have to make a decision on this but it's a kind of so fast paced in that first part of the movie that it feels like something like the west wing or the social network in mm-hmm. that style which is very interesting to see within a japanese film which is very very different than anything we've seen in in the toho canon for sure i was going to say one thing that bumped up against me the first time was every character is introduced with a little uh like subtitle that says like what their name yes. and what their title yes. is. Yes, we, we were talking about it. It's so very detailed. that initially threw me, but I've come to think that it's an actual genius move. Oh, absolutely. Because, because here's the thing. I cannot really follow or remember any of them, like personally, yeah. just yeah. for me. I almost think that's the point. No, no 100% that's yeah. the point. That's 100% that's the point because the whole thing is that every people have, everybody has a title has a you know thing that they are experts in or a you know position they've been elected to or whatever it may be and the thing is is like when it happens the first time you're like am I supposed to know this but then it, as it happens for every character you realize all of these titles are meaningless right that what they are actually it's just illustrating that there's so many like politicians yeah, right, and bureaucrats and and, and and you know cabinet members or whatever it may be right mm-hmm. there's so many voices mm-hmm. and there's too many voices because then you start to realize you know you kind of figure out who like your main characters are but then when you go back and these all these meetings like well who's in this meeting and was he in the last meeting does he know what the last meeting said you know is this guy making the same suggestion is he contradict like you you kind of get confused in and of itself but that's again part of the point is that there's too much going on too much discussion happening and no decisions being made but there's almost that element too and a lot of there's a lot of this in the movie, and I think this is also really part of the point, and I think a genius part too, is that it does not only illustrate the the ineffectiveness of having this many people, but almost again that kind of down if you do, down if you don't moment. Mm-hmm. Because there's moments in this movie where like, you know, the prime minister has to make these unprecedented decisions right. of like what to do about this giant monster. And it's basically like, well, I, I choose not to attack and it like destroys everything, or I choose to attack and not know what's going to happen. It was basically like you can't win either way. That attacking it and not attacking it are both decisions that are wrong in some sense of the word. And he's got to make one which is like, well, which is the least wrong? And I feel like there's that kind of element too where it's like even within this world of too much stuff, sometimes there really is no winning. Mm-hmm. And that's like kind of the the natural joke of politics in and of itself is that no matter what you fighting for what you believe in most decisions are no win scenarios right well said i mean like that that was one of the things that struck me just on every rewatch and just like this film and the prime minister being like we can't do that that's never been done and everybody's like well we have to do something right like we you have to like make this usually like you know it's like you have you have to declare a state of emergency but it's Mm -hmm. like it's a monster we can't declare a state of emergency well basically what else are you gonna do Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like you're basically, you know, and it's kind of that that heaviness of giving people power because a whole lot of it is like, well, we have to overstep boundaries. We have to overstep that red tape as best we can, you know, and giving you, you know, giving you emergency power is going to make that happen. Yeah. And, and there's also in the, in the movie eventually does kind of play some lip service and plot uh, uh, plot elements to the fact of. What is Japan's actual place in world politics is that it's something that could be easily that while they do have some agency, 
uh, they're tangled up in their own red tape and they can easily be outnumbered by all like the major right. governments of the world. Because like, again, this is part of the, I mean, this is, and this gets into the nuclear stuff again, because part of the whole point of the film is that like they're, you know, Godzilla just continually destroys and mm. like every decision they make. Or is that one character says he just moves. Yeah. That's all he does. He moves. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, Godzilla is just continually destructing everything and like you know they try to shoot it doesn't you know doesn't work you try to attack it doesn't work you know destruction continues to happen eventually this all leads to another plot machinations which i think well basically then within that big the the scene of the movie the the atomic scene the atomic breath scene you know the the prime minister and his most of his cabinet gets killed mm-hmm. in a yeah. helicopter and then a you know temporary prime minister um of course, like the guy who's least suited for the job, because again, this whole Japan thing of like the guy is the most senior, the, the new prime minister is the most senior member of the staff. Yeah, like the agricultural, like right. The, the agricultural. It's, it's a de- it's a designated survivor situation where yeah. he's like it's he's the, the last most, person. Yeah, and it's like the last person that wants the job, the last person that has needs the job, and basically like the line that he has, which is great, where it's like. Um, he's having this big discussion about what to do next and everybody leaves the room and he's like, Oh, my noodles are cold. I knew, <laughs> I, I knew this job would be tough, which is like exactly like this. Like that's a guy who does nothing to do with right. it. Right. It, it's definitely a, Oh, they're giving the, the, it to the, to the people, to yeah. the common man. So yeah. there's a little bit of that in there. And then, so basically, but then it's basically come down that like the United States, France and like the UN have decided that they're basically going to nuke Japan. Right. They're going to nuke Tokyo to get rid of Godzilla because it's this, you know, this is disaster that's going in. And then the whole thing is like, well, the UN will then like, you know, and then like the main, you know, and then there's another main character who's like basically gunning at some point for prime minister. Like he's a younger character in the future. He's like, he's basically kind of really in control of what's going on in the cabinet, trying to help make these decisions. And he basically is like, well, they want to nuke, and then they've promised to basically like help us rebuild and give us reparations and kind of take control of that situation. Right. And there's this kind of like he's trying to convince himself that this is the right decision in the sense of like, well, you know, we were out of options. We're not going to you know, we can't defeat Godzilla. We he has this atomic threat thing now. We've tried to shoot him. We tried to use missiles. We can't do anything. This is our best option. And yet still there's that emotion of. They're going to nuke us again. Right. We're going to get another nuke, and it's going to be them, you know, rebuilding And that's what I mean. It's very smartly done because— Because, again— That's a plot element by this point in the Godzilla franchise. I should be like, oh, all right, okay, the nuclear thing. But that's what we were talking about was, like, when 84, when that happens, you know, there's kind of—we talk about this a little more jokey way because of how ridiculous those characters are in that scene. right, right. But it's also a moment that really doesn't have emotion. There's not really anything that relates to the general plot of that because the whole thing is like he refuses it. He's like, you know, and then he's like, well, I told him, like, would you want to bomb your own countries? And yeah, like, I mean, thematically like, and story wise, it checks out, yeah, but, but you don't connect to there's it. There's no connection it. to it. Whereas this scene connects with the entire point of the movie mm-hmm. and, and the entire kind of exploration and satire and taking down of Japan and Japanese culture and Japanese government, where you're at this point where their only, seemingly only option is the worst possible option. Mm -hmm. The option that, you know, completely shifted their country's history decades ago. And still, one of the most 
important moments in the history of that country. Something that completely changed their entire civilization. Sometimes, you know, mostly for the worst in that instant era. And eventually became like a country that rebuilt and became the technological giant that we know it as today. Right. But in that sense, it's like, again, this guy who's gunning, this younger guy who's trying to be a future prime minister is in this position where there's a no-win scenario. Mm -hmm. You either don't let him nuke it and Godzilla continues to rampage, or you let them nuke it and basically, in in many ways, hand Japan's history over again to the Western world. Right. And... And it becomes, and I, but, and I but think you it feel it. You yeah, feel it that smartly moment. becomes a plot element without that overtaking the movie yeah. and making it like, oh, the world it, is the villain. And it, 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 no, it, it's again, it's the rock at a hard place, the mm-hmm. the no win scenario. You don't win in either of those scenarios. Well, but and that comes down to like the arc of the movie itself mm-hmm. is. Japan as a people, as a country, as a government, learning that maybe it's time for them just to make their own decisions and not get caught up in these bureaucratic ways of living. And I think also the part of that is our other kind of human plotline that's going on here. Because while you have the traditional Japanese government and the traditional ways and the red tape and the meetings, eventually in some point in the movie there's this other team set up. Mm-hmm. by the government is basically like Godzilla research team. Right. And as as the main character of the movie, again, this other kind of politician uh, character, this kind of advisor, whose arc is kind of like, you know, he's kind of just along for the ride, doesn't really speak up, maybe has his ideas, but like lets the things go as they need to. Mm-hmm. Where at the end of the movie, he's the one taking charge and being like, we need to do something. Right. But the whole point is that in compare, they set up this other Godzilla team uh, this Godzilla-specific team, like we gotta, you know, your job is to find out what this thing is, what its weaknesses are, anything you can find out about like its existence, because it's a new creature. We don't know anything about it. And as our main character kind of says to our our the crew that he assembles, you are the outcasts, you are the weirdos, you are the 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 kind of undesirables, the people. And you know, I don't know if they say this in the movie, but you're the people who think for yourselves. Yeah. Like, yeah. But that's the whole point. Yeah. Is that the Japanese government and the way it's presented is very much by the book, the red tape, the meetings, needing to like you know, and 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 the in, the indecision of decisions. Yeah. Whereas this other Godzilla team is younger and it's it's free flowing. It's people saying ideas and, you know, rushing with computers. Well, look at this. Well, what if I did this? What if we need this? I'm Mm going to call this guy. And just doing Mm -hmm. and just trying their best to do it. And then at the end of the movie, that team is the last hope Mm -hmm. because they know that this nuke's going to come, that the UN is basically like, we're going to, we're going to nuke it. That's our decision. We're giving you, we're giving you a week or two to evacuate everybody, but that's, that's it. And they're like, there's got to be another way to do this. And we're going to find out that way. And it's just brilliant in that kind of like, and and it's in, in a way it is an idealized scenario. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there is this kind of like, these are the people that are just, their passion is just doing something. We got to do something. Well, that individualistic nature is foreshadowed earlier in the movie because he, our lead character, is the one who sees the online video of the giant tentacle yeah. sticking out of the thing, and then he's the one who proposes, like, "Listen, like, there, I saw some footage. There's like a there's like a giant tentacle sticking out of it, and everybody's like, that's ridiculous. Just stick by the books, right? Like, so whereas, could, like, if they like, what, like you watching online videos, like, it could be a hoax, you know, right? If they, a hoax, I think that the 
the the implication of that earlier on in the movie is everybody just kind of wasn't so narrow minded, right. and because even like his buddy tells him, "Listen, keep your nose to the ground on this one. Like, don't like, like it's like it's, keep your nose if you if you want to stick around here, if you want to like move yourself up, right? Stay, you know, you know, keep your head down, mm-hmm. and he and he doesn't, and eventually like. Cause then he's like also like you know and then he eventually calls in like you know he's the one who's like well I got I got a you know we got a friend in you know and but it's also like again they kind of taking down kind of an older generation I kind of feel like too because when you compare like when they originally bring in um when they figure out it's a creature the prime minister like bring in these three major like biologists and all three of them are like non-committal in their analysis of the creature it's like. Well, if I don't have a closer look, I don't want to say anything about it because, again, they're all, like, afraid of you being wrong. Right. They don't mm-hmm. want to humiliate themselves. Meanwhile, then they get in this this female kind of younger, kind of, again, a little more oddball, more more serious, and she basically, like, kind of immediately, like, you know, oh, it's, like, this and this, and it could be this. Right. You know, might have this way, you know, kind of seems like it's, like, a reptilian, like, blah, 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 blah. Like, she's immediately on it because she just takes a different look at things. Mm-hmm. That she's not afraid to put herself out there right. and there's kind of again it's like what you said the whole politics thing is is people afraiding to take that res- afraid of taking that responsibility even when the prime minister has to make those tough decisions like do we attack or do we try to capture it and it's like you know he's like it's this is unprecedented like he's already knowing like i have to do something and he's like almost stalling he's like i can't ha- make a decision here and then eventually he chooses to attack but there's that kind of uh, that fear of putting your neck out there because you're afraid it's going to get chopped off. Right. But like you need to in this scenario that this is a life and death scenario and there needs to be an urgency. And and I thought probably my favorite addition to the whole cast was our American Japanese correspondent yeah. uh who works for the president and and in general, I, I like the I like the human characters. I think it works as more as a thematic ensemble than I'm connected to any of the characters. Yeah, personally. it works very well with the thematics of the film. I, but I do think that that character is just the right amount of like personality that is added into the movie, and I think is actually from a conceptual point of view of just a very interesting character of having this Japanese, uh, like this uh, this Japanese um, woman. Who lives in America? Who can speak English? Who's and, the daughter of like a major senator? Right, and, right, and is yeah. very much American, but like and, you know, and, and her like heritage being, is in Japan, and, and, and being groomed to be like a in the future of American politics. Like yeah, that's kind of the whole point. Of the I just thought that was a nice little counterbalance to just right. the whole vibe of, of all the other. And again, characters it's in like initi- that initial U.S. you know support. It's not as if like the U.S. are these villainous characters that are like trying to like take advantage of the situation. Genuinely, she's partly there because, like, you know, American intelligence has gathered their own information, is willing to help Japan. They mm-hmm. are allies in the scenario. And in, 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 you know, the first kind of big battle, it's like U.S. bombers that are coming to try to, you know, in that kind of nighttime battle, that it's U.S. bombers that are going to be like, hey, we're, we're going to be, you know, mm-hmm. shooting this thing down for you. And it's like, but it's also like the way she's presented is like there's a genuine, like, interest in, um, in kind of what's happening and, you know, kind of a mixture of, you know, and then her character becomes a mixture of maybe someone who's at first kind of angling for, you know, political power and and doing this sort of job to kind of boost, and at least in some part to boost up her own political agenda to, you know, 
boost up her future, you know, as a senator, as a as a president, whatever she wants to mm-hmm. do. And, and and like our main character becomes someone who really genuinely cares about the scenario that she's in and tries her best to help our crew to to fix it. Right. Yeah. Um. And that kind of leads me into, in a weird way, speaking about Godzilla himself because she comes into the plot in a way that like she really comes into the plot and then really explains what this creature is, yeah. which is an interesting bull move that this movie just straight up tells you kind of what's going on with the monster. And of course, the the Americans get the name Godzilla too. That's, yeah, that's a really so, that's a really nice little detail. That is again, that's one of the things I really wanted to kind of pick apart because. It's this weird kind of in this like amalgamate like in the way that the in, in original fifty four film, uh, even though we knew what it was an analogy for within the text of the movie, uh, kind of just made it a whole a general bombing test is like what did this and a general yeah. warning of nuclear power, and this movie kind of makes it an amalgamation of like worldwide humanity problems because, in some ways, it's a very interesting choice that they kind of in some ways say that the Godzilla creature that we know it is an American creation, at least in the fiction of the movie, but emotionally stems from uh, the wrongdoings of the government to one of its people. So because like so the whole origin of the Godzilla in this movie is that there was a scientist named Goromaki uh, who was um uh, am I getting that name right? Let me yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and that uh, he uh, lost it. He he lost his wife and was like basically felt betrayed by the the Japanese government and went to go uh, do work in, in America. And then I guess the implication is stumbled upon that. The, the only thing about that, like this explanation of what happened, is kind of cool, but happens like very quickly in the movie. Yeah. Um, but then the implication is that there is some creature, uh, that was mutated by, uh, radioactive waste, Mm -hmm. essentially. And they knew about this, them being the American government and this, uh, professor, and this professor went off with it and essentially dumped it (laughs) in Japan, Mm -hmm. essentially, which is kind of crazy. It's a kind of crazy origin story. Yeah. Um, and also, did he kill himself? Is that the, is that the implication of what happened? If I remember correctly, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's some people who have read that as, like, he was taken care of. Oh. (laughs) I think it was a suicide. No, I think it was a suicide, because the whole thing was, like, then he, his suicide note was, like, oh, like, here, it's your problem now, do as you will with it. Yeah, but, um... But yeah, but the whole thing is that like you know it's it's also I'm for these big disaster in like fiction, big disastrous things having these really innocuous like right, like humble beginnings. Yeah, like I just love it that like all of this stemmed from some wrongdoing to to a person. Yeah, and I I just I I just find that to be because it makes it that thing where it has its roots in like some of the American government, but also like how Japan has treated its people too. So it just kind of tastefully. Uh, puts in, uh, uh, adds all those elements together. Yeah, and and what I was we were talking about like the Americans get the name Godzilla within the context of this movie is that the first name of the creature is Godzilla, and it's the character, it's the internal name for uh, the creature within like the CIA or, or like whatever it is like within the American mm-hmm. government, and then they're like Godzilla. It's like yeah, it's like from you know this fishing town or like you know 
whatever, like going back to oh, the... Oh, you, you know what that's from, that's right? That's from the original Fishy Yeah, yeah that, 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 that's, that's the original saying. island from uh, yeah, the yeah. 54 so, Godzilla so, film, yeah. But, it's what, but that's kind of the fun thing where it's like, of course, it's called Godzilla. I but thought it, that was probably my favorite little Easter like, egg yeah. from the, to the old film. Um, I, I really like that. Um, yeah, like, so just like... Yeah, so the, just to like, so Goro Maki, his whole thing was that like... Um, he was like kind of disgraced, like and like he he had predicted this creature's potential, mm-hmm. but like was basically like dismissed by like the Japanese government of like this is not possible, mm-hmm. you know, like that kind of basically be like being portrayed as kind of a mad scientist, how like he's just you know spouting right. nonsense, and and so like, uh, um, but then he went to the states after that, right? Yeah, yeah and like, but it's like they find the notes on his yacht, mm-hmm. like that was the whole thing, is that like he went off the you know. You did it to the states, right? The stuff, and then he was on a yacht, and he like disappeared. Yeah, he it was basically like he was rejected by everybody, and yeah. then he's like, "All right, well, now this is your problem." Now, yeah. what do you think of like just that element of, of it's the just, story? It's definitely interesting, and I think it's again, it's like nice little thing. It's not too much, you know. It's I, I, you know, people. I don't want. It's not GMK where it's like this big whole thing. It's like it's a small element of the story that works, and you don't need to make it big deal. Because, again, like, there's another version of this movie where it's, like, oh, like, then, like, you have Goromaki's, like, daughter, and she's, like, oh, like, you know, you were warned, and all this sort of stuff. And it's just very much, it's just a very small element that works, and works thematically, again, like, not heeding these warnings and not listening to those more free or outside-the-box thinkers Mm -hmm. in this scenario. Because Goromaki, if he were still alive would have been on that like alternate Godzilla team. You would have been one of the people found for that team mm-hmm. because he's an out-of-the-box thinker who theorized this years ago. But, of course, nobody took him seriously. And, and really, that team is like is not even taken seriously by the government that set it up. Right. It's basically like, well, we're here. We're giving you the inform- Like, you're here to get us information, but really do nothing else. Mm-hmm. And then it's them, it's them who, because at the end of the movie they figure out that they can basically freeze Godzilla. Right. And that's their only hope that to not get nuked is to like basically freeze Godzilla in place. And then Godzilla himself, um, the entire conceit of Godzilla is that it was a creature that has been permanently uh, created a mutated abomination by you know consuming nuclear waste and is now an ever-evolving uh, creature um that will right. basically it, evolve into like a, an immortal god essentially is yeah, like at least that's like and then what the, it's the said. whole thing is like there's that one guy is like he you know when that Godzilla team is and they figure it out is like he's not a generational evolver he's like he evolves almost instantly mm-hmm. and that's like a game changer within you know what we know about science yeah, yeah it definitely it, it's because the 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 way in which this movie raises stakes is, is very fascinating and interesting but just from a design point of the godzilla i love like this godzilla truly as i kind of said about it just feels like something that shouldn't exist yeah and even that first crawling Godzilla, like when it's crawling on land, oh, that's a, like even more of an abomination. Yeah, because then it's like bleeding from its gill, like right. because that is almost comical until you see that element of it when yeah. you see it's bleed, like it, like blood right. is pouring out. Because that's of what it, you then see earlier like, in the movie yeah. is like when they when the tunnels kind of cracked, you see like a you know blood coming out yeah. almost. And, and it's got these dead fish eyes, is, and it, yeah, that's what I was like. The eyes, like it all kind of. Now it kind of all makes sense, that design. And I like that design a lot more now than I did at the beginning of this episode, I think. 
Because it is. It's just, it's an abomination. It's a, it's a freak of nature mm-hmm. that is totally different than, and, and something that exists outside of nature's laws. It's mindless. It's in, instinctual. And in many ways, it works ultimately more than something like GMK because Anno takes the approach of just making it a very personality-less yeah, creature. Like it, it really is presented as a natural disaster. Mm-hmm. It's really presented as this thing that's causing destruction. It doesn't have like the character that like the Showa or Hasey era films give it. And even like those films from the Hasey and Millennium era that presented as more of the force of nature, like like Godzilla two thousand, even those movies eventually give it that personality, mostly because they're it's fighting other monsters. You kind of have to have that. Right. This film it's really presented as if it's a tsunami, as if it's an earthquake, as if it's a it's a nuclear reactor disaster. And and it just makes the rest of the emotion stand out more. Because mm-hmm. when you go back to that scene we mentioned earlier, like the big scene where they've shot Godzilla a couple times in the night scene and you know they're they're you know, the Prime Minister and everybody's watching because these US bombers are are gonna attack it with missiles. And eventually this leads to Godzilla reacting with his atomic breath. And then this crazy moment, like, again, from a Godzilla fandom perspective. This, Nick, when I saw this the first time, this scene blew my mind. Right, because you, you have, like, again, like, the jaws becoming on his. You can, you, Godzilla looks more unnatural. The atomic breath is just spewing everywhere. There's no control over it. Again, it feels like a creature that's evolving even beyond its own understanding. That it, like, it didn't even know it could do it was this. It's just reacting. It's reacting. Yeah. And just, like... Yeah, the atomic press going everywhere, and like these buildings are being decimated, and all of a sudden, like it starts coming out of like his his back and mm-hmm. like his his fins and stuff like that, and just there's like twenty lasers just like everywhere. And it, it was they, crazy. This movie, this movie goes a long way with the creature by really stripping it of any personality. Yeah. Because, but and, and I like my personality, Godzilla. Oh no, but me for too. I mean, I guess context, that's why. This, I mean, I tell you, the show era is my favorite because Godzilla is imbued with personality. But for this movie, because like that is what makes that scene so emotionally devastating, because it is just like watching a tsunami or an earthquake or a, a, what it's you you're watching something that's so destructive mm-hmm. that you cannot control. Mm-hmm. Everybody who's watching that moment, you can feel the absolute awe of what's going on. With the absolute devastation of knowing this is something we cannot beat. Well, the There's that moment where you're like, it's a moment of, it's a moment that mixes awe and hopelessness mm-hmm. so effectively well. Especially when one of those lasers hits the helicopter with the prime minister in it and blows everybody up. But I feel like that's where I get that, again, that, that emotion from 54. Whereas 54 is, a, it's, it's a different way, but it's like when we see modern day disasters... And there's that kind of like unbelievableness of what's going on with that mixture of like the hopelessness of like, well, there's so much being taken out, so much destroyed. And this movie really effectively captures that feeling of feeling small. Because you have this godly creature that continues to evolve, that doesn't even have control over its own form. Just completely decimating a city in a way that's not not possible. Yeah, because in the context of the movie, the way that it works, it seems, is that it's like kind of like spraying this like noxious fumes and gas everywhere. Yeah. 
that encompasses a city. So just from kind of like an in-universe explanation of it, it's kind of fun. But so he it, it kind of spreads throughout all the streets and throughout the city. And the beam itself is really cool, and I think it's actually a nice little callback to like those old-school hazy beams and like the sound effect on it. But that initial, just that wide shot of the entire city being set ablaze in an instant yeah. is so like just jaw-droppingly just, you just feel like, you instantly feel like everybody's dead. Yeah. Like that instantly. And and then there's also on top of that that they figure out within that specific moment yeah. that not only is this city completely destroyed, but it is irradiated. Yeah. Like, no, they, like the city is gone at that point. There's radiation, yeah. and they at this point, they don't know how long that radiation is going to last, and it's going to be years. Like, they're like, this is going to be years until this goes away. And an interesting part about this movie is that it doesn't overdo it, because I think, like, when you have, like, a, like the city's being destroyed, you make kind of, like, a big set piece out of it. You make a very blockbuster reaction, make it seem really like the end of the world. But what I like about this movie is that in those even the first couple forms of Godzilla like when he's just trouncing around the city mm-hmm. like nothing he's not doing anything other than he just walks in a straight line through well, the city he, again, but what is so effective about it is that when you really look at how all the characters are are like reacting to it and within the context of how it's being dealt with in the movie that would be pretty devastating. Oh, like we're again. so we're so used to like like the big city de- like destroying or the big destruction being like such like a big them making a, the movie making a meal out of it. Yeah. But when you think about it, if a giant monster just walked through like all of Santa Monica, that would be bad. Well, I kind of think <laughs> that, like, like something that we can connect to. Yeah. Is that, you know there's always kind of the talk or the discussion or the jokes about. In California, like, the big one's coming, the big earthquake. Right. But can you imagine if we were just sitting here doing this podcast, all of a sudden this giant earthquake just hit and, like, everything's falling, everything's falling apart, and then we look outside and there's, like, massive cracks and holes in the ground and and buildings are collapsing into, like, the, into the, you know, into the, you know, underneath the, the street. Right. And it's like, like, we we would not be able to handle that. Like, it's it's like, like, in that situation, we would be like, like we were kind of in that in that same realm. We would be like in awe of like this is this is happening and it's it's that feeling and I think this movie actually presents this. It's that feeling that nothing's ever gonna be the same. It's that feeling that these characters look at this situation and they know life has changed. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie captures that feeling that like there's the way you have to look at the world in in a devastating moment like that. It's going to change because you're either, you know, it's like you're not, it's not like us. It's like, oh, it's like normally like, oh, we would, we're not driving the work the next day when that happens, you know, like, are we, who's okay and all that sort of stuff. Our family's okay and stuff like that. It just changes your whole perspective. And I think this movie also, I'm sorry. I know I keep like, you keep wanting to say something and I'm just really getting into this, but I also think that that, that also helps what helps that emotion is that political viewpoint of this movie mm-hmm. because those are the people that have to go in the next day and do the work because they're the ones that everybody's looking to be responsible. Right. And so you're basically dealing with all these people that their whole world has changed, their politics are changing, the people in charge are changing, people are dying, and they still have to go in 
and be like, well, what is the next step? And I think that only enhances that perspective of what a devastating disaster like that can feel and what mm-hmm. that must have felt to people like Ano when those disasters in early 2000s, 2010s Japan, the, the, you know, the nuclear disaster, the tsunami, when all that stuff was happening and just looking at that, you can feel that this is like the stuff that Ano was thinking about. Yeah, and, and, and it works because they keep it effective because it's not apocalyptic, oh, yeah. but it's definitely it definitely has the weight and the tragedy is still yeah. felt. And and yeah, but but there's also, it also the it also does help that they do bring in that world perspective mm-hmm. of what's going on in Japan. Which is very much like when we see these disasters happening, and maybe we're, you know the UN's not going to nuke like if Japan's having a tsunami. But when we see on the news, when we see these disasters happening around the world, and then kind of like what is our reaction? What steps do we take? And it, it really more so than a lot of other Godzilla movies, because a lot of Godzilla movies tend to keep it insular to Japan, maybe a reference here or there to you know another an international newspaper or something, especially in that Showa era. This one really makes it feel like this is a world mm. you know in japan and it really focuses on japan's having this disaster but that helps it not feel too over the top too apocalyptic because it is this one country dealing with a disaster and everybody else is kind of like focusing on it it's happening in japan yeah and the implication also being is that if it's not taken care of it will get worse and it will yeah. become mm-hmm. apocalyptic if it doesn't mm-hmm. if you don't deal with it yeah. now uh, and effectively um the only last thing I wanted to talk about for myself was some of the callbacks and like stylistically the not only just the big stylistic direction of the movie but how it does weave in and out elements of the Godzilla franchise uh, mostly with music and little markers of of uh, like title cards and roars and such mm-hmm. uh which i i find to be the most fascinating little stylistic thing which is how music is used in this um because i do feel like in some ways it's the fan of ano of really trusting some of these music but also kind of like creating this nightmarish scenario by using these very old sounding themes and having them sound old and not having them like be re-recorded in some ways and I think in some ways at least for me and this may be me reading way too much into it is that I always thought like this is the timeless nature of Godzilla that in some ways even though it's a more contemporary version of it that we're still dealing with some of the same problems that oh, these yeah. nuclear elements are still coming up so while there is a lot of new in the movie I think that there's a little bit of fun to be have but also some thematic depth in that you know he's still taking bits and pieces of just not only recreated versions of the old stuff, but actual like sound bites yeah. and actual sound clips. And I think it's a very unspoken way of delivering that theme mm-hmm. that only like the fans would understand. But that's one of like the like the little bits I like. Cause like even going down to the the opening of this movie opens up the same way that the original Godzilla opens up with like the boom of the three giant footsteps and then the roar with like the uh black the yeah. black background with the white text on screen. Um, another fun little fact is that the Godzilla roar throughout the film is the evolve as it evolves are the Godzilla roars throughout the ages. So the first initial Godzilla roar that he gives is from the 1954 uh, film. And I believe later on he gives one that's like from like a few films later down. And then the big roar, because Godzilla doesn't do a lot of roaring in this movie. Yeah. 
and the big when he's about to do his big atomic breath and he's being bombed is he's doing the classic Hasey era roar. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there's kind of like that little fun nod to the whole legacy of Godzilla using these classic uh, Godzilla sounds and uh, staples is to me a very interesting way of delivering that theme on a more subtle fan base yeah. level. And and I would say about the music too. I think all these said was good. I think what's most impressive is that just how well all that old music just fit. Yeah. It just really just fit the scenario, the scene, the mood. They really were able to easily pull and there's because there's a lot of great score from Godzilla history and Fukube especially, you know, has a lot of really classic tunes. But I was really impressed that like whenever they pulled out a classic tune, it just fit the emotion that was there. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel out of place. It felt natural. It felt as if it was originally written for this. My my favorite one is when he's like Godzilla came back to shore, and it's just that hard cut to like that big wide shot of seeing him in the distance, and you just hear the bum 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 bum. But it's not like the big heroic one we know. It's more of that. It feels like it's like you're playing it in an opera house and it feels kind of like far away and like old and nightmarish. I, it's very hard to explain yeah. without seeing it, but for some reason that needle drop just to this day just like really works for me and yeah. it's a super eerie. And then the use of the military theme I think is fun because it's at a point in the movie where not that we're going to have fun with the movie, but there should be at least some like, all right, yeah, we're, we're getting the, the troops together and like, you know, and we're finally doing like the heroic thing. and. Right. Tonally, I think it it, it comes no, it at the right place in the movie, especially because that's that lead up to like them succeeding. Yeah, in, in and then ultimately the credits are, I believe, the the same or stylistically the same as the original nineteen fifty four credits, mm-hmm. uh, with also kind of a, a horrific uh, little uh, needle drop as it just cuts cuts straight to that. It's like the fact that the the end shot of the movie is what it is, and then it just hard cuts to the. Just like this very subtly played music note mm-hmm. uh, of the of this old uh, track from a Godzilla score, I, I don't know. It just creates this very eerie, eerie uh, viewing experience. Mm-hmm. I think, it, it, at least for me, I, I thought. I, I can agree. Um, I had a few nitpicks um, about the movie after watching it a few times. Um, very little. Yeah. Very little things. Um, especially after talking about it right now, the more and more I watch it, I think they're fine in the movie, but I do, I, I, I get less and less out of the actual characters that come out of that science group. Mm-hmm. I get what they're going for with like the, the, the very serious odd girl, uh, who's like the, the scientist yeah. who like knows everything. I get what they're going for. I kind of made fun of like the the guy with like in the in the either he had like the the scarf. Yeah, I think that guy made fun of that guy. The only reason for it for me is because for a group of people where they're supposed to be the individual thinkers and the weirdos and like the people yeah, that yeah. you're really supposed to latch on to. But at the end of the day, I'm talking way more about all the politicians as characters. Than them. I think that's fair, but I also think that I think it like I mean I probably you know on other viewings I might have more issues with it. Yeah. I kind of worked because I think I don't think it, it's bad. It's just that's kind of if I have I think, a nitpick. I do I think. think that it's like again like I don't know if the the idea of the team is more the focus than the team. I would say 
because you're really focusing on our, our the lead character of the movie mm. like and and the leader and kind of him trying to corral all these people into creating like a a solution whereas i feel like they're 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 playing the parts they're they're presenting what the ideal of the team is but I, but, but i can get what yes, you're saying which is yeah. like you could still make them interesting characters right i get that and it's just because like i've walked away from this movie and the other characters like the the original prime minister and some of those other characters just kind of stand out so much more uh, as, and it's just uh, that's the only thing that especially after multiple watches doesn't doesn't quite do it for for me as much um the only other thing that that I really didn't love was like I thought it was just kind of dumb to do the whole we don't see the face of the president type thing and I thought it was a little unnecessary. I, I well, that... it's just because they couldn't get Hearst. <laughs> That's who he is in this movie. Um, there's yeah. no. I mean, I wish there was another choice. But yeah, no yeah. Choice. Um, I, that I didn't get. I mean, I kind of understand. It's like the president, so they kind of still want to make him faceless. But I, I just don't think anything else in the movie kind of like really supported yeah. doing that. Um, yeah, and I, and, and the... I've been fine. I would have been fine just being like, he's only on phone call. Yeah, only on phone call, but it's just like I like I get that they want to make it like the president is always kind of like this like there's always this idea that like there's this little kind of like claw from Inspector Gadget type of type of thing that they do with the president all the time where it's like because in it yeah it took me out of the it's the only thing that took me out of the movie because it's like you know it, it, because it almost in many ways gives that character within the role of the story too much agency and too much yeah. power that like to do like because by not showing his face you bring too much attention to him so it's the only creative choice i think in the movie that i i, I don't ne- it doesn't necessarily sit the best with me um yeah i didn't didn't, didn't yeah that's yeah fine. i'm fine, just fine with everything about the president yeah so that that was just kind of like my thing yeah. about it yeah i didn't really have anything else yeah, I mean it's pretty. I, I mean, mean, and then they, like the thing is, is like because I think the ending, we should mention too that uh, they basically figure out a way to freeze Godzilla's blood, mm-hmm. um, and you know the free thinkers basically win the day, avoid the uh, Japan being nuked, and you know now they're in the process of rebuilding, and the whole thing was like, you know the uh, the agricultural you know minister. It's like their whole thing was like there was just a temporary emergency power. They're all going to resign. There's going to be new elections and a chance for a fresh start for Japan, essentially. Right. While also there's kind of an implication that Godzilla, the frozen Godzilla, is like mutating again. Well, let's not undersell that point because that has been like the biggest like kind of like thing about this movie is like what does that ending, what does that ending mean? We, We should also say like, there is a deleted scene in this movie that more explicitly expresses that Godzilla is a mutating creature that could evolve into more creatures. Mm-hmm. And that was to actually taken out of the movie. There, there's a bit in the movie where they find a bit of like his scale or something where they yeah. get his DNA from. Yeah. In a deleted scene, they find that and an eyeball is growing out of it. Uh. And so it's more of an explicit, like, this thing can evolve into multiple different Creatures. things. Yeah. And there's been a huge debate of if whether a face or a skull is growing out of the tail mm. 
of Godzilla because over the course the tail gets more janky and and more uh, whacked up and there's models and maquettes and even toys that have the face in the tail but it's kind of like hard to decipher if that's actually in the movie it's one of those things but uh you know the day is all saved they think that like they they are warned though if Godzilla unfreezes then that countdown clock starts again right yeah because they're basically the guys like the deal was is like if this Godzilla plan of yours doesn't succeed mm-hmm. and Godzilla basically rampages again, the, the nuke is coming. Yeah. And uh, the final shot of this movie is this panning shot up of Godzilla's tail. And there are various humanoid creatures like, like fossilized in the, in the frozen uh, coagulated blood of Godzilla, just like not just in the tail, but clamoring out of the tail frozen and the camera pans up and it's like some some Lovecraftian nightmarish mm-hmm. HR Geiger type thing. And then it's just that hard cut to the credits with that low like music note, which just so eerie, so daunting. Nick, what does it mean? Probably <laughs> means that, you know, <laughs> hey, Godzilla could, you know, mutate again. Right. What if it was like an invasion of the body snatchers type of movie though? Uh, uh-huh. Where it's like, they are all like humanoid creatures, but you know, like an invasion of the body snatchers, they open up their mouths and like, oh, <laughs> and it's like, but in, in the Godzilla world, there's like these humanoid creatures. They seem like the real people. And then they open up their mouths and like a, a little atomic breath, uh-huh. like shoots out of them. Now I have to be honest. When I first saw this, I overthought it. I thought it was definitely a more, thematic stylistic thing i thought it was supposed to be kind of like that whole thing where it's like oh those are like the like the souls and like the i thought they were doing like a more artful more interesting version of the gmk like it's the souls of godzilla but it has come out that that was intentionally meant to hint at uh, the fifth form uh, Mm -hmm. of godzilla which is interesting because thematically i think just within the context of the movie and i and I've always been kind of like going back and forth on it, and I love hearing what everybody thinks about it. This time around when I was watching it, I thought it was interesting that earlier on in the movie when they're talking about the evolution of Godzilla, that the guy's mind goes to these godlike things like it can do anything. It can like uh, it could split into two Godzillas, which I think at one point was like considered that it may be able to do, but it was ultimately scrapped. Yeah. Um, but it could split into two Godzillas. It could even grow wings. It could fly wherever it wants. And it's just interesting that the next form is actually it would have taken uh, is of humanity, which is interesting given that they give it the name of God and it's yeah. like you know God and then yeah. it, and it becomes like uh, in the shape of like, I humans. guess like even just off the top of my head, a way that I would also interpret that ending is still like it's still another th- kind of shot at government and politics because oh interesting the way that i could see that being played is that you have all these people now like you know they think they've succeeded and the the you know there's a kind of discussions like now that the you know the the guy who's like aiming to be prime minister like well i'll I'll need someone in my cabinet and like you know the the guy who said that it's like you know you have a position we're gonna rebuild japan now you know and they're like oh well the if the if the godzilla awakens we have the countdown clock back on our back in our back of our heads and stuff like that and i kind of feel like even that shot of just like the potential next mutation is almost that kind of like even when they you know the government's you know started one you know stopped or you know dealt with one disaster they're kind of 
you know, letting themselves back into like a false sense of security and not, you know, looking ahead to what the next potential thing could be or not setting themselves up for that success. That it could be like the way you could interpret it is like the next disaster is right under their nose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something that they could deal with right now if they just paid attention. Right. They looked and they saw, you know, because now this Godzilla creature is basically this frozen creature, this big symbol of like what just happened and they really can't do anything with the creature. They can't move it or anything right. like that. But it's almost as like the next thing they could like look at this and say, well, we can prepare for this now because we, we know what we're kind of dealing with. We can, you know, we can set up like G force or whatever we would want to do. Like with, with in one of those other gods and movies, that's what they would do. But it seems like, okay, we're going to be focused on really bad when that next disaster is like right there. And they're just not paying attention. Yeah, I mean, and it's something because the implication being is like the way that they're coming out is like, that was about to happen yeah, yeah. and then they froze him and you're right i do like the the kind of message that it's another thing that's just right under their nose because the way in which it's even shown in the camera is that you get the whole view of it and then you just kind of look at the tail and you're like oh the tail looks a little janky but there's a big godzilla who cares like it's a, yeah. it's a giant statue and then as it gets closer you're like oh it is like kind of like a little warped what it's like these weird skeleton monsters crawl what the fuck is that like so and then also and then clearly they would have been like these indestructible godzilla human hybrids whatever these, these t1000s yeah, yeah. <laughs> these t1000 godzillas so yeah so that's it um so yeah, so that's that's Shin Godzilla, man. Um, I mean this e- this is a top five for me. I, I will mean, put it by I, it's talking about it, it's it's easily top three. It's this uh, this uh, Ghidorah the three headed monster and Shin Godzilla. I believe in that. Yeah, that's that's, where it's that's on the mind. three. Yeah. I think that's like if you're that's your holy trinity. And I would, this is right there with fifty four. Like it's right next to it. Mm. And this is. Having talked about it, I think really just gave me more appreciation for what this movie is. Yeah. And it is, you know, a very easy contender for one of, you know, on my, my list of uh, favorite non 2019 films I've seen this year. Awesome. It's definitely up there. Awesome. Well, I mean, that's pretty much what I what I have to say about it. I'm I'm very much with you on that. It work it works like gangbusters for me. I loved it when I see it. I loved it uh, on all of its rewatches. It's in that top three for me as well. Um, way to go, uh, Hideki Anno and Shin Godzilla. And I guess now I definitely have to check out uh, Evangelion. Um, and then like it's on Netflix still. And, and I mean, honestly, it, uh, the aftermath is pretty simple because that is essentially the. Uh, the legacy of this movie is that it, it is a fan favorite, and it is almost like many people called it an instant classic in the Godzilla franchise. It has won several. It was a. It was very successful in Japan. Won several awards, uh, essentially in their like in their version of like the Academy Awards, was winning like Best Picture and like a bunch of best other things. Like everybody, like it was just hugely successful critically was just a darling especially for a godzilla film it it just just blew blew the doors open in terms of love for for the film yeah and i I would say that you you asked me earlier what was the thing i knew about the movie and besides what i had told you just like about the content well the other thing i knew was that this was actually a godzilla film that had a decent american release or at least an attempt at an american release um that you know, wasn't just like, oh, just throw it on a DVD somewhere. That actually had like a little bit of a theatrical presentation and like a big Funimation like Blu-ray and like it was promoted. 
and it was a, there was an attempt to bring it to like American shores, mm-hmm. especially off the heels of the 2014 Godzilla. Yeah, and the only thing I'll say about its legacy is that it was one of those things that I think was another key element into jumpstarting the Godzilla uh, franchise. Uh, ultimately, a hugely successful movie that everybody really liked. Uh, at at time, there was talks if there was going to be a sequel to it, but Toho ultimately is going in this direction of not sequelizing this movie, but just kind of like uh, going in, just continuing the franchise in other ways. Yeah. Um, but Shin Godzilla himself, like we said, like the creature design has become somewhat of a current mascot right. in, in the in the Godzilla in the Godzilla world and um, has shown up in many. I think there's like that Godzilla versus Evangelion like ride uh that's happening uh that has a version of Ghidorah in that so like they so they're having fun with like the actual image of Godzilla yeah there's that because there's a yeah there is a new Shin Godzilla like temporary attraction uh in Japan yeah um so other than that that's it um we've already said who we would have wanted Harrison for yeah he's I mean he's definitely the president I could also see him being like the advisor to the president or like the UN guy who's kind of pushing for the nuclear thing to happen Mm -hmm. but like he's you know if you can make Harrison for the president, why not yeah. make the president? <laughs> it, yeah, um, yeah. So I think I think that's I think that's it. Yeah. I think that's it for us, Nick. So how does it feel? Like what a movie to to, to end, end the, the year on. Yeah, yeah. And, not and, only the year on, but uh, to end like our, the official our, canon. Fan, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. We've gone through and we've bookended it with two incredible movies. Like I still go back to Fifty Four. And just re- like revel in just how amazing that movie is, especially within the context of its period and the type yeah. of movie it is, and how unique it is for being like that type of film, mm-hmm. a, a, a for that you know period of Japanese film history as well. Absolutely, and bookending it with like another just crazily emotional, personal, unbelievable film too. It's just you know it's really interesting. Yeah. One hundred percent. Um, and uh, Nick, here's here's uh, here's to another year of potential other exciting yeah. Godzilla news. Um, yeah. and with that, uh, that's it. Yeah, that's it for this year, ever folks. Uh, so hopefully you're enjoying this very packed episode. Yeah. Um, that you that I hope you guys will enjoy. And um, and check out this movie. I, I, I think treat yourself. Yeah, to and it. it's it's also again it has a couple of different easy ways to find it too. It's a pr- it's a fairly easily accessible right. movie. And it yeah. was again it was promoted in America. It's known in you know American shores, or at least there was an attempt to push it out there as much as they could yeah even so it's still kind of a niche audience yeah because it, it was getting given that name godzilla resurgence but they kind of have just fully adopted the shin godzilla yeah name. which is a better title yeah yeah it's a better it, title. fielding title yeah um all right well i think that's gonna do it yeah so um we'll that wraps it up for 20 uh not 2020 yet yeah uh, it wraps it up for 2019 we'll be back in 2020 uh should be back in january this year sometime um, in january so I know for the we're going to continue with the Bond ancillary stuff uh, on our side of things, um, and I know that we've talked about and you have definitely have some Godzilla ancillary things that we'll probably check out in the new year. Um, I'm sure we're going to finally look at the animation stuff, and I'm sure we're uh, I'd like to look at some more Kong and maybe some more Mothra. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what we'll see what the new year brings. Uh, our next episode will be. 
um, our next Bond ancillary. And I, again, I kind of on the fly I made a decision to not do Man with the Man from Uncle just yet. Uh, we will get to that in 2020. That will be an early on episode in 2020. Uh, but we're gonna look at uh, our man Flint, or yeah, our man Flint, because in like Flint is a sequel. Uh, basically, some sort of 60s bat. Something Flint. Yeah. Basically, it is a 60s Bond, American Bond spoof slash like attempted American Bond. Uh, again, just to switch it up, we've been keeping it modern recently. So let's go back to uh, something old. Cool. Well, and that'll uh, be our next episode. And then, uh, yeah, and then we will definitely be going through April for No Time to Die. And then the future of the podcast will be discussed in 2020. So please keep your eyes tuned. <laughs> All right. We're done. I'm done. Plug. It's the final plug of 2019. Yeah. Nail um, it. You can uh, follow us on Twitter, BonzillaPod. Uh, yeah. See, I'm already screwing up. Ah! I tried to mix it up for the last one. <laughs> I'll go traditional then. You can email us at BonzillaPod. BonzillaPod. BonTittle? BonTittlePod. BonzillaPod at gmail.com. There's Facebook.com slash Bonzilla 007. Twitter.com slash Bonzilla 007 soundcloud.com slash you can like us and subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud uh, we have had a lot of episodes this year and we've definitely expanded with the deep dive so if you are just joining us if uh, Shin Godzilla is one you wanted to hear about and you want to go back to some of our other stuff we have a lot of interesting episodes uh, from all from 2017, 2018 and 2019 so please give us, uh, give us a listen alright well until then uh, happy holidays everybody and a happy new year. Take care. Spike your hair.